Yeah. New York City. Dr. Doom Pebblestone. I took the Batmobile out last night. Went to Tony Rome. And I seen exaggeration. Spotting fools front and fly. Girls act material. 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 I spot them C's on BT with the fake Zirconia bezel Rolex. Looking like version with the see-through backboard from the Indian kid off the rack. Sterling silver delivery. Y'all trying to fool me, acting bougie with the platinum wannabe. It look real stainless steel appeal. That's not the presidential. Let's keep it confidential. You ordered that from the kid in the ad in the source, boss. Step up your rep up in genuine fashion. I caught your assin' with your name on the rented car lease. Feather dob hat, zoot suits with vinyl alligator boots. Extreme dream with no apartment space. You partner in the fly ride in an empty place. With your rent doing the first of the month, your second month, your exit. Portraying the girls like you, everything in the world. Front master, prepare to face disaster as I pass you. Moving galactica with no capacity. You ain't got enough to buy a small soda and Johnny Rockets beat. Posing with boyhead black girls with a Florida tan trying to act like you the man. Starstruck with one buck, your girl looks like Donald Duck. Party figure perpetrator, undercover hater, smell your cheap cologne in the elevator. Dope, you smoke half y'all there, never touch the meat coat. With your four carat white gold, you look like your Panama man. Trying to rhyme off on flexible facial bone structure. I crush you down to the passo like spicy foods burning through your asshole. Remember I did the damage to your lasso, then threw your pampers in the manhole. Your engineer walked away with ponytails like anime. Laughing and talking the other way. Use the first rapper to pull out grease and turn your butt the other way. Your girl think you're tough, big buff and rough. Spotting fools front and fly, girls act material. 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 I look at your audience and fan base, nothing but a bunch of men tapping each other on the back again. Fools with backpacks trying to show me they ass cracks. Cigarette lighters blowing smoke on my polo shirt. You're bound to get hurt. With one leg trying to walk to work on the mic. You rap hard and overexert. Material girls catch diarrhea. Won't make it to my concert. It don't have to be 4th of July for you wrecking the see fireworks. While you buy clothes at Raw Sawn and Weaves trying to floss. Walking in large restaurants ordering a small bowl of chicken broth. Water and napkins, you ain't trying to be a captain. Put down this whack acting skills from movies. Send you to Nico Lobby's like a groupie. Stage fright, out of sight, cover your ass up, prepare, I pull my mask up. Spotting fools front and fly, girls act material. 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 Hello everybody, good evening. Official is here and uh, I'm waiting on corruption in boxing. He'll jump in any moment. So please just give me a second, first of all.
just setting up the thumbnail. Okay, so first of all, sorry that we were not able to go live on air the last night. Uh, we were kind of busy, and uh, by the way, there were a couple of shows on air. So, and anyways, we were not yet able to to watch the fights, all the fights that happened. So it's better sometimes, sometimes like this time, for example, to just wait a bit, give ourselves some time, some extra time to, to watch all the fights and uh, prepare the show and give you the best show that, that you deserve. Yes, and, uh, I mean, what I'm trying to say is he'll jump on any moment. By the way, uh, at this time, he is, after all the things he said uh, about PBC, he's hiding in... Um, at the Ecuadorian embassy in London and uh, Al Heyman is looking to drone him. But unlike Julian Assange, uh, corruption isn't getting any visits from, uh, from Pamela Anderson. Uh, instead, uh, a girl who's paying him visits, bringing him cookies, and uh, coming there to give him blowjobs is um, cherry kiss. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, what's tonight's topic? Of course, uh, Earl Spence Jr. versus Danny Garcia that happened uh, just this weekend. Uh, Fox pay-per-view. Also in England... Anthony Arde uh, fought uh, Lyndon Arthur for, if I'm not wrong, the Commonwealth title at 175 at light heavyweight. But there are also two more topics that I'm extremely interested in covering. And those are, um, well, first of all, Usyk, uh, claiming, uh, I mean, uh, giving us how, how could I put it? In his last interview, he was talking, so Usyk himself was talking about leaving his promoters and it, it was an extremely interesting interview. So I'll have to get to it. And also, big breakdown for the donor Rodriguez fight that's happening, um, if I'm not wrong, the next weekend uh, or not. Or, or no, is it perhaps happening uh, on the 19th of December or the 12th? I cannot remember. Can't remember at all. Probably the 12th. But um, tonight we are going to break down some of Rodriguez's fights as I prepared a lot of clips so 
the next time, the next episode. Yeah, I think uh, the fight is happening on the 19th of this month because uh, what I was trying to do was to, to do the breakdown of Manny Rodriguez, Emmanuel Manny Rodriguez tonight and do the breakdown of Donaire's fights the next week. Yeah, so I'm wondering where is corruption, but I'm sure he'll jump in at any moment. I sent him the link, and by the way, if you want to help the show grow, please share the links, recommend us. I'm just wondering if if the Ecuadorian embassy is all right. Maybe they're going through some power shortages. So I don't know where's corruption yet, but I'm waiting on him. I'm just wondering, should I should I just jump straight in or wait on him a bit? Because he told me earlier, half an hour ago, or a bit more, that he will be ready for the show. Just let me check it on my on my Discord. Well, he haven't wrote me anything since, but okay. Let's go on. Let's. I don't know. I'll probably start with uh, with uh, Anthony Arde versus uh, Lyndon Arthur. And uh, I can tell you one thing. I'm extremely surprised that so many people saw a close fight. In fact, what surprised me this weekend is that my scorecards for both fights uh, both main, main events, Yarde versus Arthur and also Spence versus Garcia are just opposite of what most of the people were posting for their scorecards all over the internet, the boxing shows. But yeah, in my opinion, so a clear victory for Lyndon Arthur. Now he was not doing much but it's not it's not at all as if he was running away <laughs> very opposite on, on the opposite what he was doing he was jabbing timing name the jab nothing special but using his longer arm reach uh, and his jab that is very good and he was just stepping out of range he was never running away in fact you can say that uh, Arthur Lyndon, uh, he was not quite stationary, but he was not moving a lot. He was just moving just a step out of uh, Anthony Yardis' range. And um, I think that this fight was more, mo much more about uh, Yarde being extremely cautious. And, you know, first of all, as we learned, in his previous fights that his gas tank is at least to mildly put it extremely questionable 
So he had to to conserve his energy. But not that he was also very very hesitant to step in. It was because th that's exactly why I'm saying I'm telling you all. It this fight was not a case of Lyndon and Arthur just jabbing and running away scared. Not at all. In fact, he just did enough to 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 step out, just uh, just a bit slightly out of Yardi's range, waiting for him to step in. And he was ready to to throw another jab immediately after after taking half a step back with his rear foot. Yeah, so Yard did nothing special. He showed no no emergency fighting at such a low pace. And uh, yeah, uh, Arthur's jab was definitely giving him problems, but. He was not doing anything to not coming up with any answer. Was not being effective. In fact, in my opinion, and most of you are going to be shocked, I gave Yardi three rounds, and I could see it. I could see him winning in between two to four rounds and giving him four rounds would be extremely generous, in my opinion, uh, to anyone who was paying a close attention to what punches were landing and what punches were not landing. He, yeah, the, the, there were some close rounds that... Uh, Arthur was uh, winning not by a match, but clearly outpointing him, landing cleaner jab, while Yarde was swinging and still being hesitant to jump in and, uh, you know, try to bait, uh, bait or uh, find a solution for Arthur's jab to counter it. So... He was just uh, using his upper body from the outside and uh, using some terrible bad feints. But Arthur was cautious, and uh, Yarde was he, he he showed me a clear lack of of emergency, like I told you, probably coupled with his questionable, extremely questionable gas tank. But, yeah, I could say that you could maybe give Yarde uh, fourth round, which was, again, <laughs> it was close. The, the, the sixth round as well, it was the same thing. Uh, Yarde was able to land a couple of good punches there, but so was uh, Lyndon Arthur. And, uh, Again, the sixth round was another close round. And then, uh, okay, as well, in some of the later rounds, there, there, there were kind of kinda close rounds, but I think the, that uh, Arthur, Lyndon Arthur won them. Uh, and then the last round, the 12th round, was where... Anthony Arde finally, you know, started going forward and uh, acting as a live body for once in this fight. 
and uh, yeah, he heard him. Uh, I think it was the overhand right over the jab. So, but too little, too late. Good evening, Bucks. Thank you for tuning in. And anyone else listening now or the ones the, that are going to, to listen to the show later, tomorrow, after the live show ends. Um, we are still waiting on corruption. Like I told you, he's, uh, he's hiding at the Ecuadorian embassy and uh, Cherry Kiss is paying them visits. Uh, Al Heyman is trying to, to drone the embassy. So we all wish him, uh, we all wish corruption good luck and we are hoping uh, he'll, he'll jump in because uh, he was supposed to jump in. So expect him to, to jump in any moment. Yeah, but okay. Hey, St. Brit Sports, hello. Uh, yeah, but what I was saying about this Arthur versus Yarde fight, to me it was it was not that hard to score it, and I'm I'm honestly I'm shocked uh, about uh, how many people said that it was a close fight, but while it was not close at all, it was pretty easy to score, man. Uh, I, I once again it, it it was not as if Arthur. Uh, I was landing some weak jab and then running away. No, so uh, he was just stepping out, just one step out of uh, Yardis range after after throwing his jabs. And his jabs were very good and he was timing Yarde stepping in and countering him with it. So it was not a soft jab at all. Uh, what else I was about to say? Yeah, yeah, a clear case of uh, Yarde just being too cautious and too afraid to step in for, uh, for, for 11 rounds. Yeah, and uh, St. Brit agrees with me. He had it 8-4 to four for Arthur. Although I was saying a Saint, uh, even four rounds, in my opinion, is extremely cautious. I... I personally hesitate in between giving him three or two rounds, but that's just my opinion. And now he was, uh, look, um, around the Kovalev fight, while everybody was shitting and hating on Yarde, uh, look, it was a guy that I never saw before and I was not hating on him at all. Although I saw that people disliked his, uh, his coach, I mean, the way he boxes, he doesn't really look he has a coach. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe there's some good chemistry in between them and they like each other. Maybe Anthony Yarde thinks he's good for him. He, he's feeling, uh, you know, feeling well working uh, with him, but man the trainer, that coach, is terrible for him. Uh, and by the way, you can talk shit, uh, you know, like a lot of trainers are doing, and then uh, still be a good coach. But the, the way uh, the things I'm seeing from Yarde, or what I'm not seeing, rather what I'm not seeing, tells me he's not uh, such a good of a trainer. Uh, 
so yeah, going back to the cavalry fight around the cavalry fight, uh, all the shit talk for uh, from uh, <laughs> lions in the camp, yes, bucks, all the shit talk and uh, pumping your day up from from his coach. I was just seeing it just as something that his coach is saying there was no need uh, for me to 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 discard or uh, say bad things about him if anything else uh, he does seems to me or he seemed to me to this point as a, as a quite humble kid you know yeah but most of the people were mixing it up as if uh, Yarde was shit-talking instead of his coach uh, around the, and before the Kavalev fight. But now my problem with Yarde himself right after this fight was his post-fight interview. Uh, Hold on, Box is asking me what's that about. Uh, yeah, boxing Yarde never has any sparring in camp. Well, I don't know. I'm I'm questioning, you know, how how true is it? Maybe true, you know. It it depends for sure. Some coaches would prefer their fighters not to take a lot of damage and um, do the drills instead, something like that. But. I I would really be surprised if it was it was the true. I I honestly doubt it, Bucks. But maybe I'm not saying that I'm right about it, but I seriously doubt it. If I had to bet on it, I would bet on Anthony Arde having some uh, at least some sparring in his training camps. Yeah, but in this post-fight interview, he was acting really disappointed. Not not even disappointed. He was extremely angry at the results. Um, don't get me wrong. He was uh, giving uh, Lyndon Arthur respect. He was, uh, you know, he was not being trashy, you know, not, and uh, he was not trying to trash Linden, but he was so disillusional, uh, saying that he was robbed and that he deserved the victory, that he did more. Well, it couldn't be further from true. Um, uh, what else was I about to say about, about that situation? Yeah, look, I mean, uh, I can understand fighters after the fight because... I, I can understand fighters being wrong in the post-fight interviews because l- look at this. Uh, they just finished, ended their fight, and uh, plus uh, adrenaline is pumping, etc. And uh, they didn't have the opportunity to to watch their fight from, uh, from the third eye view. But... It's questionable. It's it's questionable if uh, even rewatching the fight would would change something for Arthur because the the sense that I got was that <laughs> still his his coach was pumping him up. Uh, and I mean, it's a, it's a good thing to you know it depends 
from fighter to fighter and from a coach to coach to give your um, give your fighter confidence saying that he's winning <laughs> but <laughs> you could see it in in front of your eyes uh, his coach turning Yarde <laughs> into a monster in front of your eyes because he was pumping him up, saying in between the rounds that he was winning the rounds, <laughs> winning those rounds. And then at the end of the fight, you have Yarde being angry at the scorecards, <laughs> acting as if he was, uh, as if he got robbed, you know. And I was extremely uh, surprised by, I mean, by such a such a close scorecards uh, yeah so like uh, me like saint like corruption himself we scored it as a clean victory for uh, lyndon arthur uh, but those scorecards first of all uh, those for lyndon were too close and um, the one for <laughs> for yard was it 117 111 i think so yeah a clear robbery, clear robbery, and uh, well, oh, I forgot his name. What uh, what's his promoter's name? Oh, I forgot it. I forgot it. What's his name? It's um, oh, doesn't matter. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, it, everybody knows him. Uh, his name is on top of my tongue. But let, let's just call him a fish eyes, fish eyes something because everybody's calling him fish eyes. Frank Foreign, yeah, he clearly tried to rap the to rap uh, Arthur Linden in favor of his uh, one of his only stars after um, after Daniel Dubois showed not to be. On the level he was hoping for uh, Dubois to be, yeah, Vox Frank Warren, yeah, 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 yeah. By the way, by the way, good job from uh, from uh, Lyndon Arthur's sponsor because watching that fight it got me <laughs> watching it live uh by the way sorry for the background noise but uh, watching the fight live uh his sponsor's uh, website uh on the front of his trunk <laughs> it got me really curious that right in between the first uh in between the first and the second round i went uh, to google I mean, I went to my browser to type in the, the, the name of um, of uh, his sponsor because by the by the name of name of that website, I was hoping to to go to to some occult website and uh, buy tickets for their next orgy. But in fact, <laughs> it was uh, it was just a site uh, clothesline, you know, clothesline, clothing, selling polos, things like that. <laughs> so big up to them, big up to uh, what's their name, a terrorist cult. <laughs>
uh, that's a free commercial for the, <laughs> for them. Big up to Arthur. Uh, hey, Fight Night, aka Precise. By the way, shout out to you. Uh, visit uh, Fight Film uh, YouTube. Corruption was supposed to be here, and uh, I'm expecting him to jump in. Precise. Uh, I'm just wondering what's what's going on again for the third time. Uh, half an hour before I started the show, he, he told me he, he will be ready. I sent him the link, so he, he'll jump in any moment. And once again, for the third time, he's hiding at the Ecuadorian embassy because Al Heyman is trying to drone him. But instead of Pamela Anderson, he has Cherry Kiss visiting him and giving him the blowjobs. Uh, shout out to you, Precise. I hope uh, Corruption is going going to jump in any moment. I'm still waiting on him. By the way, uh, big up reality versus voice. Fish eyes, yeah. <laughs> Just call him fish eyes. <laughs> A reality versus voice also saying lemons in the camp. Yeah, but you know what? Um, before, before me switching the subject... Before switching the subject, oh, I think I already forgot. No, 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 no. I know, I know what I was about to say about Yarda versus Arthur. Um, yes, it kind of looked like uh, the, the the way it went on was quite similar to to Dubois versus Joyce. Although, yeah, jo Joyce was more uh, hard-handed. Is more hard-handed. And it was not it. It was not exactly the same fight, but but game plans and the the, the way it went on was pretty similar to me. Uh, only that at the end, uh, Yarda was able to step up, and in the last round, and uh, finally try something, show that he's he's alive. Uh, let me just uh, take a sip of water. Okay, I'm back. So let's light up a cigarette. Yeah, so what should I start with? I'm, uh, I'm hesitating uh, in between uh, Spence versus uh, Danny Garcia and uh, Usyk versus his promoters. Um, and I would love to hear both uh, corruption, both topics. But yeah, anyways, fuck it. Let's go to um, to Earl Spence Jr. versus Danny Garcia, and uh, hopefully, uh, corruption would be able to jump in and give his uh, opinion on this fight because I have a clear opinion on it and I would be more than interested in, in hearing his by the way I have some notes here <laughs> oh yeah 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 a reality versus voice he's saying Tande 
can't even remember the gum shield. But you know what? Uh, what's uh, very interesting about it was it really the case of him forgetting he uh, Yardis gum shield, or was <laughs> was he buying him some some extra time? Because one, once again, I'm mentioning his questionable gas tank. So think about it as well. By the way, uh, yeah, so I'm about to start talking about, oh, corruption in boxing is joining in. Great. He, he probably skipped. <laughs> corruption probably wanted to skip this fight because <laughs> Yardi versus Arthur because it was nothing special. And by the way, uh, shout out to everybody listening. I am about to add corruption in. Corruption, the floor is yours. Or do you want to, to say anything about Yardi versus Lyndon Arthur? One to one to. I don't know if you're talking corruption because I cannot hear you, but I'm just letting you know that that uh, you're in. Oh, you're there? Yeah. How are you doing? Yeah, not bad. Um, sorry about that. It's been a, been a bit of a crazy yeah. day. <laughs> uh, so, sorry, can you just tur turn your volume a bit? How's that? How's that? Oh, that's good. That's good. Thank you. The floor is yours. All right. What are we talking? Well, I just ended talking about um, Anthony Arde versus uh, Lyndon Arthur fight. So okay. I don't know if you want to, to talk about that fight before uh, switching the subject or whatever you like. Um, one second, I'll think. All right. Yeah, sorry. Apologies, everybody, for the uh, for my late appearance, lack of preparation, but all right. Um, the fight official, um, I know you was doing your video analysis when the, when the fight was on, but we talked about it briefly last week in the sense that, um, Anthony Yard is, had a difficult year. He, he obviously lost his father and his grandfather, uh, to the coronavirus, um, so mentally, it, it was going to be interesting to see how well he he would have done with you know with, with the extended sort of bereavement period. Um, Lyndon Arthur, the bookies didn't give him much of a chance, despite you know being the champion. But trained by Pat Barrett, 
he adopted a style of of boxing yard who they probably perceived to, to be the more heavy-handed fighter um once again we saw you know a fighter who utilizes the basic fundamentals to try and keep a power puncher at bay um landing just just simple fundamentals not a lot of power punches and and yard for a shorter fighter he showed great difficulties in in, in having the ability to box at a longer range he, he had no no game whatsoever he he couldn't box his way closer which he he needed to do he was just occasionally land trying to land the jab when, when your opponent is jabbing obviously you want to try and jab with your opponent but his punch activity was uh, next to nothing landing the occasional right hands but it was a, a strategic sort of tense unspectacular boxing match for pretty much the entire fight um, not a, not really an exciting fight um lyndon arthur if he if he has aspirations of going forward at light heavyweight he's not going to be able to do it by simply uh firing a jab especially against some of the power punches and some of the more adept boxers who've who can work around the target, who can cut distance, who can use very good feints, get underneath, change levels. Um, Multi-dimensional boxers like, you know, Batarbiev and um, Dmitry Bivol. Um, I think Yard only really has himself to blame. It was a, a pretty poor self-inflicted game plan very angry after the fight but when you only step it up um, and pin your opponent up against the ropes and start unloading some combinations and then and, and just wailing away with your heavy hands and you're definitely hurting your opponent in the 12th round then naturally it begs the question why couldn't you have started walking down your opponent a lot sooner um he is the champion, so you're going to have to show the judges that you're more than capable of of seizing the title from him rather than just, just winning a very close decision and relying on some bitch-ass A-side shit because you're a far more marketable Frank Warren fighter. You're on many sports campaigns and billboards around London, so you're the far more renowned uh, boxer. Um You've obviously had a world championship fight as well in Russia. Um, not really a lot to say officially. I felt watching it live as well. I felt Lyndon Arthur did enough and he wasn't just landing the jabs. He was landing right hands as well. Um, there was some confusion about whether his, his right hand was was hurt. But it, but he indicated that he would that he was unable to land the right hand so it wasn't hurt 
um, something Tundi had communicated to yet to Anthony by around the eighth round. Um, so um, yeah, I don't know why Linden was too passive during the post-fight interview, a little bit too apologetic. Um, he should have just said to Anthony, "Well, you know, you you did nothing. You didn't. You weren't pressing. The, you weren't pressing the fight at all. I was controlling the fight with the jab. So I was technically the ring general because if if I'm preventing a power puncher from cutting off the ring and landing combinations and knocking me out, attacking my body, so so therefore." Um, my defense is obviously better than yours as well, because he was just able to just to spin off and try and roll the punches. Um, didn't hurt Anthony, didn't really have the power, but definitely won his respect. Um, landed some nice, just single right hands, just when he needed to, when Anthony was maybe contemplating um, pressing the action. Um, so... Yeah, Lyndon Arthur, in, in, in my humble opinion, uh, won the fight relatively close, but it's a fight that I wanted to see again because of the small margins when you're dealing with fights with the punch volume is so low. It prompts video analysis and it prompts slow motion just to ensure that the, that the single or so punches that may have swung uh, somebody is very close in competitive rounds. Um, one or two or even, you know, five punches makes a difference. So I just wanted to make sure that they were landing cleanly um, on the chin and they weren't blocked or... Um, and one of these fights is quite easy to do your own punch count because they're not going to be landing more than, what, 70, 80 punches for the entire 12 rounds. Maybe maybe a hundred maximum, but relatively low volume. So, if I get time from from next week, just as a side project, I'm going to try and watch the fight again. But I think around the seven rounds to five for Lyndon Arthur, I think it's a, a fair a fair scorecard. Oh, okay. So you had it closer than me. Uh, yeah. So, okay. I, I just have one point to, to, to make and then a question to ask you. Uh, yeah, you, you did a great job of mentioning that right hand. By the way, after the fight, I saw, I, I was not watching a clip, but I saw a, a title of YouTube video saying that um, it looks like... Um, Arthur's trainer admitted that uh, he he indeed um, hurt his right hand before the fight, but still, um, yeah, he he was not throwing enough of right hands. But Yarde for them sure didn't neither, you know. Uh, in my opinion, he he threw more right hands than than Yarde himself. Uh, by the way, I'm not sure if we are live on air because uh, my PC 
just froze. So I'm restarting it. Uh, are you there, corruption? No, you're right, you know, I mean, if, if there was a problem or there wasn't a problem, it's, we don't really know, I, I, I'm not sure whether he's had his hand x-rayed, or the knuckles were just a little bit sore, but, um, something, that, there was something missing from, from Anthony, whether it was psychological, there's always a bit of trauma in terms of carrying some of the physical star scars from a previous fight that I just carried forward. It could be that, you know, he he was a little bit reticent about his chin further to being knocked out by, you know, Sergei Kovalev. Um, he, he talked about not being reckless, so maybe that partially explains um, a very cautious, defensively-minded strategy in which he was just going to try and pick single punches, try and hurt his opponent, and then maybe walk him down at the penultimate sort of rounds and try and knock him out. But um, just started far too late, and you only have yourself to blame when you put in the sudden injection of, what, 20, 30 power punches in, in, the, in the last round. To try and take out your opponent. Um, if you're being extra kind, maybe it was a 10 8, give him a 10 8, but I, I, I don't think so. Um, Frank Warren, he may make the rain match. Um, Yard is very, naturally, he wants to try and avenge what he deems to be an extremely controversial loss. Um, so I'm sure they'll, they'll have a rematch at some point next year and you, on the basis of what I saw I think um, I think Yard you may give him the advantage um, given that he knows that he can he can hurt his opponent by by effectively walking him down, trapping him up, up against the ropes and then landing some hard body punches. Certainly for a, somebody who has two, three inches in height, has a long sort of body, so why not target that body? Certainly against a boxer, you've got to try and use the polar opposite strategy, not try and box with a boxer, but try and... Um, The Achilles are you always, for a boxer is always a pressure fighter, so put pressure. Um, you've got the power as well, so throw caution to your defense. Um, if you if you're also worried about your stamina, which it appears to be, because he's he's a very muscular athlete as well, so it's a, maybe a combination of him being a little bit reticent about his chin and his and his gas tank, and he's trying to pace himself. So recalibrate your strategy and uh, I'm sure uh, Yard can can find that balance in the rematch and, and, and I would favour him to win the rematch if and when it happens.
Yeah, that's a good point. I I haven't really thought about uh, about what would happen in in a rematch if the rematch takes place uh, based on uh, what we just saw um, uh, this this weekend. Yeah, but I, I would agree with you. At least uh, I'm sure he he would uh, start much sooner in the rematch, and that rematch is probably going to happen. And plus, it looks like uh, he he really hurt um, Lyndon Arthur. Uh, um, by the way, I just wanted to to, to let you know. I, I'm not sure what's happening. If uh, corruption, if if you're busy tonight, uh, the, I can take uh, take it on uh, on my own. Uh, if you're busy, if you have something to do, uh, just let me know. Don't feel obligated to be here the coup d'etat rolls on let's <laughs> okay but i'm just letting you know just in case whatever you know also on the, also on that card we had did you talk about um the the bantamweight Dennis McCann. Oh, I haven't because uh, see, I, I I saw one of his previous fights, but uh, during this whole card, uh, except for the main event, I was preparing my clips on Emmanuel Rodriguez, so I missed it. No but uh, from what I remember, he's a he's a really nice, talented fighter. I I, I enjoyed one of his previous fights that I caught live. And this was a, a decent fight official for the first time. We, we saw McCann being extended rounds. He is around sort of 5'10", five, 5'11", five, five, maybe even slightly taller for a bantamweight, so massive, 19 years old, athletically gifted, one of those reflex twitch fighters that tends to use upper body movement, keeping your hands low, um, firing explosive punches. Has a bit of has a bit of power by the the speed he generates for the shots. And but we saw his opponent uh, Matos, I believe he was from Portugal. May have had a, a record of around seven and three. I'm just speculating on on top of my head, but it was something like that. Slightly more experienced much shorter opponent as you can imagine you know Dennis is going to probably have all the numerical advantages at at Bantam Bantamweight given uh, his size and, and sort of length um, but Matt, in, in an eight round fight I gave Matos three rounds I think he won the fourth fifth and the sixth certainly put some pressure on showed some punch resistance didn't capitulate like a lot of you know McCann's opponents thus far so th this is what we advocated for Daniel Dubois if you recall official that you need these type of opponents especially for young fighters during their maturation when they've not competed at major amateur tournaments to try and acclimate against all different styles potential future world champions who have that raw talent there and then so 
that sort of seasoning at a very early age is, is, is critical. You need proper field experience and Frank's opponents for a lot of these cards, especially for the undercard fighters, have been absolutely diabolical. So this fight, I think, will will benefit Dennis massively going forward. He knows that he's going to have to try and change his game plan, and, and he was trying to do that. He was taking punch, taking power off his punches, luring his opponent, touch shots, touch jab, 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 left hand, and then suddenly try and mix in harder punches. Um, that was working very well, but given he, his hand positions were low once he's recoiled, that allowed Maros just to get a little bit lower, tuck his chin, tuck his chin down, and try and loop the right hand, not even, even looking at McCann, so trying to come anti-clockwise all, all around the clock against the sort of periphery of, of McCann's vision, and, and he was catching him with the right hand, so it was a good tactic. Taller fighters always have a problem against these shorter fighters who try and exploit these crazy angles with these wide punches, or sometimes um, get underneath the punches to force the taller fighter to sort of punch down. To, and that causes, that allows uh, the punches not to be delivered with the, with the same sort of punch pounds per square inch force because they're having to punch down at a, at a crazy sort of angle. Um, so, Matos was 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 game. He was expected to be blown over very quickly. Showed great resistance. I, you know, I give him credit. Um, McCann, reasonably good performance. I think it was a bit of a shock to him that his opponent didn't go down and and lasted the duration as well. Some of the body shots McCann landed, and given we've got no crowd we, we we could hear the acoustic sort of winces of of Mandos. so the body punches were hurting him but he didn't he didn't attack the body and it's always harder for a much taller fighter to to land it's more of a it's it's far more dangerous for him to to you know land body shots against a much shorter opponent because once again unless you're really bending down and he's got to bend down at least four inches to try and get leverage so he's landing almost like straight punches or even hooks without arcing and 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 losing uh, you know punch power or velocity so but he's he's gonna have difficulties such as this against a lot of his opponents because he's gonna be at least fruit he's gonna be even six inches taller than some of these fighters at bantamweight you know isaac dogbo is a bantamweight and then he's five feet two McCann is what, <laughs> 5'10", 5'11". So you're talking his height differential. It can be as much as eight inches. So it's not going to be easy for him against some of these shorter opponents who have good punch resistance. So so we'll see. It's going to be interesting. I think he, he, he'll be better once he starts moving up in weights, gets bigger, stronger. Eventually, he'll get his man strength. And he'll be fighting fighters that are 
at all and he, he'll be able to get better leverage on his shots he's not going to have to you know punch down as much as the, the frustrations of doing at the moment so but good fighter absolutely and that's one of the reasons why frank was able to let go of a lot of his experienced veteran fighters like billy joe saunders etc all of that old garbage um he's got people like him hamza shiraz you know some some young talent and frank is just recycling the model he's done for 40 years you know find very good young british talents take them through area level british commonwealth european world championships that's been his mantra since he's been in promotion he's done it with so many you know british fighters something eddie hearn really hasn't um that's Fra frank's sort of modus operandi and he's i think he's got two or three good fighters that he that he could potentially do the same again so let's hope the matchmakers um, deliver on that sense yeah, you're you're completely right about it because I was about to to say I was thinking about the same thing. Uh, look, uh, Frank Warren he uh, doesn't have uh, any superstar in his table at the moment, but on the other hand, uh, he he can survive uh, thanks to to those young talents that he has, like McCann, like we saw in the previous. Uh, on the previous card, uh, Hamza Shiraz, man, the, that that's another very talented fighter. So yeah, and uh, look, I, I, I I'm not very aware of his his uh, promoting history, so I don't know what are the other talents that um, that he he brought up in the past. But uh, listening to you, yeah, it it makes a lot of sense, and so I'm thinking back. Uh, he, I suppose, he's the one who who discovered Tyson Fury as well and uh, took him along uh, along the ranks, etc. So yeah, good uh, good job from uh, from Frank in that sense. Yeah, you know, he had Nassim Hamid, he had the the Chris Eubanks and you know the Nigel Benz um, mega fights that they were putting on before. Um, he, took the space of Mickey Duff and then Eddie the Hearns arrived in boxing after when they they pretty much took the deal on Sky Sports and then Frank had a lot of a lot of a lot of sort of rebuilding and he launched his own box nation channel which was a which wasn't a bad sort of concept but um Sky had the exclusive contract with with Matchroom the money was there. Um, BT, uh, sorry, Box Nation was was a channel on the Sky um, platform, so there was still royalties to be paid for for Sky. I, I guess he wanted an independent relationship, and now Box Nation has become a little bit dormant, which is sad. And Frank has now moved over to BT Sports with all of his fighters, and and. And BT, um, a form of you know monopoly, telecommunications monopoly has expanded since deregulation. Um, they've expanded into 
diversified industry, sports, advertising, uh, products, mobile phones, etc. Everything. Um, a massive amount of uh, capital. Um, a lot of a lot of the sports that were being showed on Sky Broadcasting Corporation, like Test Match Cricket, Formula One, uh, UFC, etc., that were all on Sky channels and now are all going on. Uh, BT are buying, bidding for the rights, and uh, they become a bit, a bit of a juggernaut, very, very leveraged in the amount of money that they've spent on on sports. So. They've, they've definitely got money. And you can see by their studios as well, it's tremendous. It looks so much better than what Frank had before. And he pretty much runs his boxing empire, I think, from his house in Hertfordshire. Eddie Hearn always berates Frank for the bankruptcy of his, of his company, um, the lack of income he has. Frank doesn't have a bad, you know, doesn't have a bad business model in terms of what he does with young fighters or something. Eddie Hearn doesn't really do that. He just tends to buy these financial mercenaries who are ready to fight. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. Amir yeah. Khan is always the perfect example for, you know, Eddie Hearn, the amount of criticism that he levied to Amir Khan over the years. Uh, criticizing how much tickets he, he sold against Devin Alexander, etc. And then when he signs Amir Khan, completely changes his, as you can imagine, starts praising Amir Khan. It's just the hypocrisy and double standards of these promoters is extraordinary. Um, <laughs> yeah, by the way, uh, to... To me, Frank Warren is an equivalent of Arsene Wenger uh, looking for, for 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 the new talents in the kindergarten, while uh, Eddie Hearn uh, is like what was Real Madrid back in the day, you know, just paying paying mercenaries, uh, offering the talent and having connections. But yeah, yeah. Frank Frank is he survived, you know gunshot wounds to the head so yeah. <laughs> he's like boris in the film snatch you just can't kill him <laughs> boris the blade. good old frank <laughs> okay so um what should be the next topic? Do you want us to, to go uh, to Spence Garcia or uh, talk about uh, Usyk? This the official. This is all news to me. I, I saw that you 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 mentioned something about Usyk. Um, I'm I'm hoping it ties in to all of my rhetoric recently about Usyk and, and, and Eddie Hearn. I haven't seen no news whatsoever, so I'm. I'm all ears, as they say. I'm very keen for you to uh, give me some good news about Usyk. Oh, great! So, so you will be positively surprised because, yeah, it's it's uh, it's very along the lines that uh, you've been mentioning on the previous shows. So, yeah, uh, I, I would like to to 
to say thank you to Aldog, big up to him because thanks to him sharing the, the interview on Twitter, uh, it it was uh, an interview that Usyk did on his, um, um, how do you say, on his own uh, YouTube page. And so don't worry, uh, I have everything here. I'm going to share screen because I have, um, I have everything. I took a lot of screenshots and uh, it's going to, I'm just uh, getting it ready. So if you just uh, give me a couple of seconds so I can prepare it, then I'll go deeper into it. But yeah, go on. So the news came courtesy of the coup d'etat of boxing's heavyweight matchmaker, El Dogo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so the, the the interview it was it was pretty good. I'm still I'm still preparing the screenshots because I took um, four of them. I would just like to say to El Dog for all of your endeavors and contribution to this podcast. Once officially myself have accomplished our coup d'état of of Thailand in Bavaria, and our new headquarters is set up. Royalties will be tabulated to in due course. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So he, oh, he, uh, he did a great job uh, sharing uh, sharing that that interview on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. So let me let me screen share it. I got I got it ready. Oh, hold on. Yeah, so this uh, about the first line is uh, what the interview is saying. In my opinion, Eddie Hearn was not interested in you winning. And as you can see, UC Cancer, well, it's possible. Of course, he, he went on deeper into it, but uh, he... First of all, he, he showed that he's very aware of uh, what you've been saying, corruption, and what we you were already heard the coup tower of boxing, and he heard me on BDA as well. I'm, I'm yeah. <laughs> because so, I've spoken to him before, and James Ali Bashir, so... Um. <laughs> Hold on. Let me see what's the next. See, to me, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I have accentuated this. Had Anthony Joshua won the undisputed Cruiserweight Championship and indicated to Eddie Hearn that he was immediately ready for a title shot at heavyweight, that he didn't need an acclimation period, Eddie Hearn would have used the WBO super super status or whatever he was elevated to and enforced to give him a giving them a, you know a couple of hungarian hookers and a, and and some wire payments to a tax haven in the u.s virgin islands uh, that that happens all the time and i'll prove it in, in in going forward the wbo would have conceded and eddie hearn's golden goose anthony joshua would have got a title shot so he had all of the capabilities, the, the political connections, the clout, but the Dillian White was a, was a scenario. That when he was used as a spare tire and, and Usyk 
not so much as a, as, as a spare tire, but to me, it became very clear that Eddie Hearn didn't feared Usyk for far more, and he absolutely doesn't want the. He absolutely does not want um, the championship belts on him, and and that fight told me everything you needed to know about it because Joshua shouldn't should not have even been in that building, number one. Um, and the, the, the roadblocks that have been put up is, is ridiculous. And what an official, what I want to say as well, there's, there's so much criticism regarding Usyk's first opponent, Chaz Witherspoon. But name me any other heavyweight champion from Joe Lewis going all, all the way forward, Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier's, Ken Norton's. Did any of them win the Golden Gloves Championships by knockouts in every single fight? Chaz was the only one to do so and he had an eight fight winning record as well come so he was not a bad opponent yes he was out of boxing for a long time but that guy could punch and watch him early on in these days the amateurs as well he was a murderous puncher um, but he was a very last minute opponent as we keep indicating um, but that's that's just a side point do you want to carry on with what you were saying before have you uh, uh yeah I, I, uh, before that i will i would just like to add to what you you're just saying uh look and uh, we we should not for, forget that uh, usik was coming of uh, multiple injuries and that before that he was already supposed to fight fight not only chizora but even before chizora he wanted to fight uh, and they wanted to make uh, a fight uh, his heavy uh, his heavyweight debut fight to be Usyk versus Alexander Povetkin, and from what I heard, I don't know how how true is it. It was Povetkin that uh, didn't really wanted that fight, and uh, I may be wrong, but uh, and I'm not saying it's it's true, but uh, I cannot forget exactly. Uh, who said it? I think that Usyk said it in uh, also on his YouTube channel, uh, in in uh, some of his earlier interview on the channel or somewhere else. I think that he was the one saying that uh, he sent the offer to to Alexander Povetkin, and right. and, and plus uh, talking about that fight against Chess Witherspoon. Man, people were acting as as if he was getting pissed up, while in reality he was coming off an injury, multiple injuries, not ten injuries, but multiple injuries, and he was doing extremely well. And he maybe got caught with uh, two right hands, and uh, still was performing very well, in my opinion. From I can remember from that fight. But back to to screenshots. So yeah, uh, the interview is talking about. Um, uh, Sergey, I don't remember if it's uh, the official trainer of Usyk at the moment, and uh, who that's else? Yuri Yuri Kachenko. Um, oh, okay, so it may be Sergey, maybe maybe a guy from uh, K2 Promotions. Yes, he's he's, he's Usyk's manager from K2. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, day before a Chizora fight, so they went on to check uh, check the gloves, and as you can read it, uh, and Sergey had been refused to put his arm in uh, Chizora's gloves. Then Sergey squeezed 
Chisora gloves and the gloves had uh, no padding or maybe little padding. Now it's questionable because it's coming from uh, from their point of view. But, uh, you know, of course you can question it. How true is it? Uh, but let's go. Let's continue with, with the next screenshot. Uh, on a, on, no, but uh, uh, yeah, uh, before reading this one uh, about the gloves, Eddie Hearn basically in this, uh, what Usyk answered about, about no padding in Chisora gloves, um, uh, he said that Eddie Hearn told them that uh, he, can, uh, he can use the same gloves as long, uh, as, long uh, as they're approved by, by the British Commission. So he was not denying, you know, denying uh, the, the gloves that, what type of gloves or the, the lack of padding in Chisora's gloves. But next, uh, Usyk was saying that beside that, he also noticed that the ropes were uh, too slack and that he doesn't usually lean on them. He doesn't test them usually before his fights when he, he evokes in the ring, but he did it. And uh, he, he also saw that. So that's, that's just another, another proof that uh, he was uh, that he's very aware that <laughs> uh, Ed Hearn doesn't want him to win and that uh, like we said on the previous shows uh, he was not signed by Hearn for his talent only but also because he's a big threat to to Anthony Joshua and to his belts so Eddie wants to to keep it under control and uh, Box in the chat room is saying that Hearn even said he wanted Gisora to win or that he said it publicly which doesn't surprise me because we, we all remember of how sad they were <laughs> After um, after uh, Usyk sparking uh, his best friend uh, in belly out, and man, was it enjoyable! Uh, Usyk yeah. indicated what his contractual, contractual, what his third party contractual status is with with Matchroom. How many fights left, or is it a, a fight by fight basis? Well, I'll I'll get to to it later because it's one of one of the the screenshots that I have prepared. Although it's it's much more about uh, his problems with Kate, uh, but um, he he hasn't indicated uh, how many fights or time left on uh, his contract with Metron. Uh, he has. But he talked about his his contract with Kate. Uh, so, but but uh, to to simply ask for your question, he wasn't saying anything about the length of contract between him and Matron. No, but yeah, like and uh, like you said, uh, like we said on the show before. Usyk to notice that the, the ring was quite small, and then he went on to say that Eddie uh, that before the fight he or somebody from his team texted Eddie Hearn uh, telling him about uh, about the size of the ring while he was in the dressing room, uh, and Eddie Hearn told him supposedly answer him uh, by uh, via text that <laughs> the ring was the same uh, the same. Uh, 
as the one he found himself uh, in the belly fight, <laughs> which uh, which couldn't be further from the from the truth. And then uh, Usyk also said that uh, he thought at the beginning, watching the uh, the fights from his dressing rooms, that it, it may be the TV cameras distorting, you know, and uh, making making the, the the ring look smaller. But <laughs> once he got in the ring, he saw that it was not the case, and he kind of said. Uh, what he said he said something along the lines of um, well i saw that the ring was a bit smaller than uh, than uh, the one in the belly from the belly fight and not uh, just uh, by a bit but really smaller uh, so yeah well while I mean, I'm... I mean, they, we, we know the official from experience that look at the incident with dillian white and, and oscar rivas um, arbitrarily changing the gloves on the day of the fight without consent or even advising either the manager, the, the, the chief or chief second of the opposite corner and then not allowing um, the corner to inspect the gloves after the fight. Both the British Boxing Board of Control and the fighter and his trainer being a hindrance in, in Oscar Rivas's people from, from their right to observe and, and inspect the gloves. It was absolutely ridiculous. And then Dillian Rand goes on this ridiculous rampage. You, you notice how they always use one bit of controversy to, to deflect another. The same thing Tyson Fury did mm -hmm. to try and get away from that incident and then start focusing on the drugs test that, that that happened after the fight. But they completely deflect the issue about, about the massive injustice and the legal actions in using unregistered gloves. Exactly. Yeah, deflect one thing by bringing up the other. Yeah, it's just that's that's how proper that's how the propaganda machine has worked in war, etc. Um, For sure. Crazy. Yeah. So the interview the interviewer here is asking him uh, about who should be protecting his interest because at the beginning Usyk uh, at the beginning of this interview was very. You know, he he didn't want to to blame anyone, and uh, he was he was taking it on the chin, like in the beginning when the interview was uh, repeatedly saying him, telling him that somebody should protect his interest with gloves, with uh, with the ring, how everything is tilted, how the table is tilted against him. He was like, yeah, but I won the fight. But then uh, when uh, the interviewer, who, who did a great job of, uh, well, in this interview with Usyk, he kept on pressing him. <laughs> Usyk started opening up. And uh, as you can see here, he thinks uh, Alexander Krasik, uh, I don't know if that's another guy from... Uh, from uh, the K2 promotions, but uh, he's saying uh, Alexander Krasiuk uh, should be dealing with these issues and uh, somebody from from his team. So yeah, as you can see, he's 
that there are things that he he doesn't like that uh, he sees that uh, people some of the people who should be working for him are not really do, not really doing so and are working against his interest and um, he here in the next screenshot he's talking about how the mentality of uh, some of those people supposedly working for him was uh, like uh, let's not uh, argue and uh, trying to be good with you know trying to be liked and um, trying to to you know to, to just go on uh, and uh, not try to to disturb the show, you know. Uh, Usyk basically saying that they prefer to to let uh, let the fight play out, and then later uh, bring up what 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 went wrong with uh, which uh, Usyk clearly doesn't like, um, and uh, rightfully so. Uh, let's go to to the next one. I just hope that they can enforce the WBO mandatory position before a, a unification with, with with Fury. But it under the rules, it may be that a that an undisputed takes precedence even over a WBO super championship status. I'm going to have to go back and look at the rules. So Usyk might even still be screwed out a little bit longer, official. I just hope he doesn't take any step-aside money, ignore all of that bollocks. But then again, if if Fury theoretically beats Joshua, they're going to have a rematch, aren't they? they, they both of them are going to have rematch clauses, um, given the magnitude of that fight. Um, and I don't Absolutely. think that he's going to capitulate. They're going to allow that because they're sanctioning fee is obviously correlated on what how much money a fight generates that's just yeah that's basic economics so they're going to naturally they're going to give their consent to a rematch and they're not going to enforce the rules um so we may even have a trilogy in that fight so a very precarious position looking at all of the permutations i would i would Try and enforce the WBO to call the mandatory. Actually, order the order the fight um, straight after the Kubrat Pulev. I'm not sure how much time Joshua is going to have, but after whoever wins that fight, they should be fighting Alexander Usyk before Tyson Fury. Fight Absolutely. Tyson Fury. Absolutely, uh, Usyk. Uh, Sorry, go on. No, no. No, I was just saying, I, I was uh, confirming what you're saying because it's absolutely true. Uh, he's already been waiting for it. He said that he doesn't want any other fight, that he wants to go straight into it. And uh, yeah, completely agree with you. They, they, they will just drag it and imagine if and when a Fury wins that fight. It would just take uh, even longer for uh, for him to to get uh, to get the shot. So yeah, and back to the yeah. I do not want either Joshua or Fury to vacate their titles and Usyk fight for a vacant belt because that's 
that's not the sort of fighter he is, and he doesn't want that as well. He wants to fight both of them, and and they should fight him. I don't want don't want somebody's Adrian Broner shit fighting for a vacant title because Usyk is is a great, you know. So I don't want any of that nonsense. I want them to fight him. Well, well, uh, you'll you'll see later. Uh, uh, well, what he said about it. Yeah, he. Uh, Kind of, but anyways, I'll, I'll show you later. But to answer to you shortly, he says he he doesn't care. He doesn't want to to wait for it. If they want to fight, uh, uh, he has no problem with it. But it's gonna be without that belt because he wants that belt. But he also says he absolutely wants to fight for for the undisputed. And he, he's right. He he's he's even right to you know not to allow them to to fight for that belt. Uh, without uh, going through him first because uh, once he gets that belt it would be even easier for him to uh, at least a bit easier to to um to get uh, get the fight for the other belts that he'll need um uh, shout out to to a new viewer in the chat room jack he's saying british boxing board of control occult corrupt <laughs> yeah uh yeah and uh, back to the interview yeah so Usyk was still talking here. He was still talking about uh, uh, people from his side. Some of people, uh, some of the people from his side, not protecting his interests, and uh, he was comparing their actions or the lack of by by trying to be nice with everybody and uh, instead of uh, bringing up the, the the problems before the fight, they they tend to you know to to just uh, shut up and eventually talk with him about it after the fight and so he was comparing it with uh, what should be doing uh, like what Tyson Fury did against Klitschko you know you, you remember very, very well that fight in Germany because uh, <laughs> Fury while being a clear B-side versus Klitschko uh, when he saw those those maths a uh, ring mat that was so, so I, I don't know he as if they they were not fighting, they would not fight in the ring, but on a, on a bad matlas. He he threatened not to fight if they don't change it, and uh, with the tickets being sold for uh, for Klitsch, already being sold for Klitschko versus Fury, they had no no other choice but but to obligate and to to, to change uh, the mats in the ring for the fight and that's how the fight went on and that's something by the way that Klitschko was doing to all of his opponents but no one was uh, arguing no one from his opponents pre previous opponents uh, um, promoters etc were not uh, Talking about it, they were allowing them to to fight Klitschko on those fat mats. So, and that's what Usyk was mentioning, uh, as as if saying that uh, Fury did a great thing, uh, that he was right doing so. Uh, yeah. So here still he's saying what we do is usually meaning. Uh, some of his guys making everything happen and telling afterwards or waiting till the next time to change the situation. Uh, let's go to the next one. 
Yeah, now the, uh, he was also talking about uh, the dirty tactics Chisora was allowed to employ in the ring, uh, and also his injuries. Why? Why? Uh, but 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 it's questionable because, like you and me, we were already talking about after this fight uh, between Usyk and Chisora took place that, and it was. I'm still sharing your opinion that Usyk didn't want to to show all of his cards to Anthony Joshua without no doubt. But when questioned by the by by the interviewer, uh, because the interviewer was saying that he wasn't seeing as much movement from him in the ring, as much activity. So Usyk here is answering that uh, I uh, that he hurt uh, the left hand in the first or the second round, and uh, he had uh, the problem with his uh, elbow uh, of the right arm throughout the fight. So it may be a mixture of both, but uh, I would not, uh, I would still not exclude that. Uh, to me, clearly, Usyk was just trying to do to do enough you know that he was not really looking to to have his best performance of of his career because i do agree with you he doesn't want to to show all of his cards uh, let me share the next one official even even if Usyk is 100% truthful and he was carrying those injuries, if you, if it was within his will, he decided he would have knocked out Derek Chisora. If the, hypothetically, if that fight was for the undisputed championship, would Derek Chisora have made it to the to the end of the 12th round? For me, absolutely no way. Usyk would have knocked. Yeah, I, I do agree with it. Yeah, uh, if he wanted to push uh, to push for uh, for a knockout, it would have happened because he had him stunned a couple of times, not only once but a few times, four or five times, where uh, Chisora, despite being much bigger than him, he was stunned and uh, backing away and uh, losing his balance. Um, you know, losing uh, losing his feet. And uh, Usyk was just backing away after after hurting him instead of jumping right back on him. Of course, it may be the case of you know him uh, just being cautious, being that he's in the ring with a bigger guy. But even despite that, I saw that there were occasion for occasions for him to to stop Chizora, but he just didn't do it. For, for for the reasons uh, that you already gave us that I do share with you. By the way, give me just five seconds and I'll be back uh, to talk about uh, the other screenshots. All right. Just before that, I want to talk a little bit about a fight which happened on Friday night. Unfortunately, I had to go back and, and and watch the fight against really my will and proclivity. But Billy Joe Saunders was defending the WBO 168-pound championship against veteran Martin Murray, attempting to win a world championship for the fifth time. It's been a, it's been 
unfortunate and that's well documented. But what I will say is that Billy Joe Saunders looked absolutely horrible. He'd come down from from what I think was 210 pounds and it clearly showed in the ring. Um, he ran out of energy very early in the fight up against an opponent who, you know when an opponent is literally on the brink of retiring because they simply cannot pull the trigger and Murray, Murray's punch output was the lowest it's ever been. Hence, shouldn't have been much, dif shouldn't have posed much difficulties for Billy Joe Saunders but I don't know what the hell he does you know he, he seems to sort of jump up and down like a kangaroo um, wasting his energy off balance with a lot of shots uh, leaps in with that uppercut with that right hook continually falling off balance um, he doesn't really understand how to throw a punch with the knuckle part of his which is the only portion of the hand that should be you know inflicting a blow um everything else is is not within the rules of boxing um it was a very difficult watch for me but i i thought billy joe saunders was absolutely garbage in the fight i don't know what the hell all these people are talking about the promoters and the television networks and boxing channels here on youtube um the degradation of all of his let me rephrase Billy Joe Saunders may have had a degree of natural talent he'd won the Commonwealth Championships in the amateur so one of the youngest British Olympians as well so the natural talent was there but the skills process in terms of the accumulation of skills through education through sparring testing your skills in the gym there's been hardly any acquisition of, of of sort of improving your punch technique improving your balance improving your footwork trying to come around the target it is a, a trojan horse uh, to me it was just that, that is a fighter who simply uses a training camp to lose 40 50 pounds billy joe has indicated many times that he's he's not in love with boxing he doesn't respect the game um why on earth uh do boxing fans uh keep reminiscing to a performance against david lemur in in terms of judging him and going forward at 168 pounds it's just extraordinary uh Lemur, a murderous puncher, single-handed in terms of what he can do, but Lemur has been beaten and knocked out before Billy Joe fought him. So, you know, what the fuck are all these people like getting stroking their cocks for on that performance? Uh, exactly. Yeah. To, I don't know, official. For me, it was just a horrible performance. I. I don't know what the hell. I didn't see no technical proficiency. I didn't see any footwork. I saw him just stamping, just sort of jumping up and down vertically. You know, like, you know, like the way my daughter plays hopscotch or the way, you know, they 
if you're if you're training in the gym, you're you're you know you're on a jump rope. You're just jumping up and down on the spot. That that's all he does. I don't know whether he's stamping, you know, rodents underneath his foot that have just crept up under the canvas, or what? It's horrible. And I I've got no, I've got no proclivity in watching Billy Joe going forward. Whoever he fights, I I simply don't care. That that's that's the reason why Frank Warren had enough of him. Um, he did everything to protect him. He delayed fights when Billy Joe was going to lose the belt on the scale. Frank did, but what did how did Billy Joe reciprocate? He didn't take on challenges, ill discipline. Um, so many immature incidents out of the ring with cocaine and prostitutes and whatever else. Uh, doesn't know how to conduct himself. Uh, look at the way he brings up his son as well and the incidents they're causing, you know, hitting, kicking fighters in, in the testicles, etc. You know, that, that's that's some, some subservient, low-level scum, you know. Yeah. Get it, man. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, uh, look, Billy Joe Sanders and his footwork, you can't... The thing that describes his footwork the best is uh, is a sumo, a sumo wrestler. You know, like when, when they squat and they just move the left foot, then the right foot, left, right. <laughs> the, the same footwork that... Billy Joe uses and uh, yeah that, uh, that fight against Lemieux I mean he did well in a sense that he was there against uh, a fighter who has who needs to set his feet to to punch so the way uh, yeah definitely uh, uh, Saunders was outboxing him and doing the right thing but it was not that difficult you know and by the way uh, there are other fighters who, who were able to Put a, a real clinic on uh, on uh, Lemieux. On... John Ryder was desperate for the fight, and he was willing to take less money than Martin Murray to fight a rematch, oh, yeah. <laughs> which I think is, is is warranted because the first fight was very close when Billy Joe was with Queensbury Promotions, and, and John Ryder, after an excellent performance against Callum Smith, was he. Was he not a far more viable opponent who deserved a rematch? And clearly, he looks a much better fighter at 160 than he does at 160 pounds. That would have been the... But we know what was going to happen in that fight. I think John Ryder would have just beaten him up, walked him down and just beaten him up. Um, so, Saunders went back to five you know martin murray had, had had a reasonably good career you know i mean he was the complete opposite of saunders in terms of not ducking challenges you know he, he fought golovkin in monte carlo he traveled to germany to fight felix sturm etc he's fought he's fought george groves he's a, a very good pro um self-admittedly he, he doesn't have the boxing skills at, at that sort of higher echelon to win a world title. They was cruelly denied in Argentina and in Germany. Germany was a little bit closer, but Argentina, I felt, was more comfortable. So when you don't have that name, 
very difficult to get a decision. So a, a good a good pro, but in the in this fight, um, he he couldn't just he he couldn't pull the trigger because that's what happens, you know. Once you effectively reach the end of your career, it's 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 a common characteristic, pretty much with every fighter. You get that reticence. Uh, your body is not the communication between your brain and your muscles, and the you know the the electrical signals it sells sends. Uh, you, you know your body doesn't respond in the, in the, in that same way. It's just it's just what happens to humans. It's the evolution. It's the it just it's the retirement process. And 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 Murray probably better for him that he that, that he does retire. I hope he's you know he's made enough money. It sounds like he's got a good family. You know, you've got your faculties there as well, you know, and, and credit to him official because he, he, he was incarcerated very early on as well. So with Oliver Harris and his trainer, they changed his his life, learned discipline, uh, became a professional boxer. You don't hear him, hear about him uh, in terms of any sort of lapses uh, outside the ring. So that's that's the one positive story we can say what boxing has actually changed his life and you know he's made a bit of money he's never won a world title but he's done well showed great endurance in in a lot of it's like a very good chin as well uh, his trainer oliver sadly passed away as well so that, that, that it's been hard on him from a from a from a mental capacity as we were indicating with yard as well so um whatever he decides to do you know um Good on him. I mean, I, I, excellent fighter, great character. Uh, whatever he decides to do, I think retirement probably would be better. Now he's not gonna, he's not gonna win the world title. I don't think so. Yeah, I do agree with you. He uh, he was hell of a tough fighter, man. Yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, when when you're taking all. All that punishment from Prime Galavkin, and uh, uh, from what I remember, he 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 never touched the canvas. It was the, the referee he he stopped it because uh, he he shelled up against Galavkin, etc. So damn, that, that's that's a tough fighter, man. Yeah, and credit it's a difficult proposition because he is a cagey fighter, and had he opened up against Golovkin, which Golovkin would have wanted. He probably would have been stopped around six, seven, eight, something like that. Yeah, that's also true. Yeah, you got a wise man knows his limitations. He's just got to try and shell up, try and land some, try and pot shot a little bit from the outside. Um, difficult fight for him, but at least he showed his durability and his endurance. He didn't take a dive like a lot of these faggots. <laughs> That's true, absolutely. Um, by the way, sorry, I'm. I was eating something. Yeah, shout out to L Dog. We, I gave you a shout out earlier because thanks to you, L Dog, we 
we were able to, well, we are able to talk about this interview now. And uh, by the way, overhand in the chat room, shout out to him, saying that uh, Bektemir Melikoziev wants Ryder now. Uh, yeah, that, that, that would be a great fight, man. But uh, yeah, back, uh, back to the interview. Um, sorry, just... Yeah, as you can see on the screen, uh, so the interview is uh, asking him about, uh, you know, but why to, should to, to overhang? Yeah, forget, forget about John Ryder. Give feeder uh, Billy Joe Saunders the Baktamir Melakuziev. Let him yeah. Saunders. That's what I'd like to see. But sorry, carry on. No, no problem. Yeah, and I do agree with you, man. He would he would give <laughs> Saunders such a beating that uh, he deserves for, uh, I mean, for uh, for lacking, slacking for years and doing nothing and uh, calling out fighters, but still ducking them. Yeah, it would be a proper beating that many boxing fans would uh, would uh, enjoy, but. Um, yeah, as um, Usyk was talking to to the interviewer, I guess about uh, his problems with K two promotions. Uh, the interviewer, so he's asking him, uh, uh, judging by wh what happened in the Chisora fight, the gloves, etc., and how Eddie Hearn is always uh, tilting the table against him. Uh, He's asking him, maybe you don't need to leave your current promoter, meaning uh, talking about K2, as England is not interested in you, in the sense that, well, what's happening with him fighting on the Hearn cards, despite him being signed to her. Uh, so, yeah, as you can see, he's very, very aware of all that, all those fuckeries. Uh, yeah, and so the interview is saying you're not expected in there. They're not interested in you to win because you don't bring as much money as Joshua yet. <laughs> of course, everybody knows it. Uh, let's go to to the next one. And he's saying, although our promoters don't fight for your interest either. Uh, let me go on. By the way, uh, feel free to, to jump in uh, to talk about those screenshots anytime you, you want to say something, anything catches your eye. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I wasn't aware of any, any friction between Usyk and K2. Oh yeah, I sensed a little bit of disharmony, but I didn't realize Usyk had had made it explicit insinuations in in social media or against him directly. So that, that that's interesting. Uh, I haven't neither neither. So it looks like uh, he he just opened up in this very interview. So that's why I I found it extremely interesting. I think we need a, I think we need the coup d'état of boxing promotions and our first sign. <coughs> absolutely, absolutely. 
our uh, our main guy Usik definitely. He's first on uh, on our list. Yeah, Usyk, how, uh, how Leonard Blavotnik is going to be uh, Lord Rama the tenth. <laughs> He's got all the money in the world. <laughs> <laughs> so all your fighters, or your good fighters who who do not fuck around come to the coup d'etat of boxing promotions, the coup d'etat of boxing in Imperium and uh, get what, what you really deserve because we don't fuck around neither. Uh, yeah, so uh, still Damto speaking uh, about uh, his promoters and the problems he has with them. Um, Adding to what the interviewer asked him about uh, about what's happening on with him on on Hearn's uh, card, sorry cards, and he says maybe uh, something will change, maybe not, because I'm the promoter myself, and that's that's the part of the reason that he uh, he started his own uh, promotion. Uh, I forget the name of, of his own promotional company, but it's look like, but by what he's saying here in the interviews that it seems like he, he started his company exactly because uh, K2 promotions is not protecting his interests and uh, Eddie Hearn and neither. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. So, the interesting part, uh, the interviewer is telling him, asking him, as far as I understand, K2 disagrees with, uh, well, uh, with, uh, with the length of, of the, of the, of the contract that, um, Usyk has with them, how many more fights or, uh, how, how much time there is left on that contract. Um, let's see it. So, yeah, he's about to talk about uh, how much time left on the contract is there. Yeah, I haven't seen the contract. Uh, yeah, so that's what the interview is saying. But he's saying uh, November the 9th, which just passed, uh, it was a month ago, uh, is the date when the contract expires. You both shake your hands and that's it. And uh, What was that date again? Um, November the 9th, so it was a month ago that uh, his contract with K2 expired uh, by by what Usyk is saying. But obviously, um, K2 Promotions disagrees with it. Um, let's see it. Yeah, so they are claiming, they are claiming uh, K two promotions is claiming that uh, it's not uh, that uh, their their contract with Tusik is not about uh, the time left, you know, the time uh, when it expires, but uh, it's structured structured by fights and that they have uh, more uh, more fights left, and Usik disagrees with it. Uh, and so the interviewer now is asking him about, uh, well, Vladimir Vladimirovich, it's uh, Vladimir Klitschko, and that uh, Usyk and uh, Vlad had um, had discussions, and um, he he told Vladimir that he doesn't want to extend the contract. So, yeah, go on. No, no, no. 
Interesting. Okay. Yeah, so Usyk is asking. that he's a free agent. Yeah, exactly. And uh, by the way, in this interview, he's saying that uh, he he hasn't announced it yet uh, to 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 the U.S. and British uh, media. But yeah, the, the, the way it looks, uh, he's going to to leave uh, Kato Promotions, and um, he he's gonna see if he's even going to to sign to Metro or someone else or. Is he going to, to keep it just... Uh, Go, going to match us. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, that's what I'm thinking. And that's what uh, what the interviewer, interviewer was telling him earlier. And yeah, so as far as the reasons go for, for him leaving K2, he says, everything is simple. I want to move forward. Like And so the interviewer asking him, why can't you move forward with uh, K2? Why do you have to leave them? Why can't you stay with them and prolong the contract? And let's see what he's saying. Uh, okay, uh, the, the platitudes about uh, him wanting to, to work on his development, but that's not uh, uh, a screenshot that I really wanted to show. It's probably the, the following one. Uh, what I want is to get favorable conditions for myself because every athlete has a certain period uh, period of his time uh, of time in his possess possession, but that's still not <laughs> the screenshot. Probably the next one. Hold on. See, the, the problem is officially with, with a contract now. Everybody says seen or sign a contract. I mean, I've worked with contracts also in boxing as well for a law firm that I did some work back at Canary Wolf in the in the 90s and they had a number of fighters that they were working with it was Adam Solisters I was doing some some compliance work for and so I've, I've seen boxing contracts the way they they're structured but it's so hard to speculate unless you've seen it. And I, I understand the terminology because I worked on terms and conditions. But a lot of these contracts are third-party assignable. Sometimes the the redemption period, the date, is not always... Uh, it's not always an exit clause from a contract. It, it These are some of the... The most powerful what do they say you know that the, the pen is mightier than the sword and these contracts can be structured in in, in, in such a com highly convoluted way and a lot of the boxers don't understand it because boxing is from the from the streets and whether they have the attorney whether they've used you know viable attorneys to, to sort of interpret and explain to them exactly what what they what are they what are they conceding uh, what rights do they have? Rights to their own fights? It's just—it is real. It, it's a minefield sometimes, and and, and the way it's it's drafted is it, very, very, very complex you know, document. So, uh, but Usyk is not a stupid man. He's going to have the legal. He's going to have the attorneys. You know, can make a ruling straight away whether it whether the contract is over. That shouldn't be too hard. For them to decide, so I, I can't see why K two is fighting it. Um, 
if Usyk if Usyk is confident that it, that it, that it has expired, then then that's that's the position I'll take. You know, unless unless K two share a copy of the contract, which sometimes yeah. on Twitter or social media they will con- they'll have the page and they can corroborate what they're saying. So. Yes, exactly. Because uh, yeah, let's say most uh, most of the boxers are not uh, really educated when it comes to to the contracts. They're coming from the street, and so they they don't know how to read it and what uh, w- what do they mean. Uh, so and it's different than let's say NBA, NFL, or any other sport that is uh, be- because in boxing is everybody. Everyone is uh, going for his own, while while at least though in those uh, big team sports, uh, you have uh, you have the in some way the whole organizations uh, behind you protecting your interests because uh, you're you're playing for a team, you know, so you you would be more protected. Although even those uh, those athletes from the other sport are often as uneducated uh, on the contracts but but at least uh, the, the sport itself is way better r- regulated than the boxing is so <laughs> that's why <laughs> uh, boxers very often end up terrible and by the way Usyk I mean it doesn't have to mean that he knows uh, contracts but he's not a stupid man for real because he he already has multiple masters and degrees in uh, I do not remember what this contract would would have would have had to have been the draft and the executed or the unexecuted whatever it is would have would have been drafted in in the Ukraine when they turned when he turned professional so the contract is probably not even in English. Yeah, a good point because, <laughs> see, you haven't even uh, seen this interview. And uh, in this interview, Usyk was mentioning that uh, his, well, his contract started in 2013. So it was a seven-year contract. So was it, well, yeah, it was even before he, he became a pro. And uh, uh, right, because uh, he became pro much later, isn't it? Uh, I think so. He he turned over straight after 2012, after oh maybe okay World Series of boxing. Oh, okay. So um, I'm wrong about it. Okay, but yeah. Anyways, uh, it was. Uh, the contract itself started in in uh, 2013, but yeah, go. Um, so let's go back to the interview. So uh, the interviewer again saying, telling him uh, that his own feeling is that he's not doing well with Krasiuk anymore, and could he he tell why? Um, so yeah, this is the part I wanted to to show you. And here, Usyk is straight up answering when something happens, like the situation with the ring, gloves, etc. He's expected to fight for and uh, my interest, and not trying to be good with. Um, sorry. Oh, let's see the next one. I don't know, official. It's hard to attach too much blame to K two promotions 
just looking at it from a, a simple perspective, you know, they, what, what, what have they done wrong in terms of guiding his career thus far? He surpassed um, Evander Holyfield. So he's a world record holder there. He's the first four-bill undisputed cruiserweight champion. Another world record holder there. Uh, but I don't... Sorry. But I don't know corruption. I, I'm not sure. I think I would disagree with you on this one because, look, uh, for sure, I mean, I agree. Uh, they gave him uh, the opportunities and uh, Usyk, he, uh, well, he he took took on those opportunities and uh, uh, made something, uh, became successful, no doubt about it, but... Uh, as far look even you and me we we were saying for the past few shows we were um complaining about how he was being treated and uh, finally and uh, you were saying in the last show you're hoping that usik is aware of it and now judging by this interview he's very well aware of it so he's saying that uh, that he's not uh, He's not okay with uh, with his people not prom uh, not protecting his interests as if uh, well just like in the previous fight. So I'm. Uh, but, but all of I'm this fully on his side. Official, all of this deliberation and underhand tactics is all from his third party promoter. Correct me if I'm wrong. Matchroom are the one who are instigating everything. I, everything. For his demise, in my opinion, all of the roadblocks and all of these uh, it, situations regarding not enforcing an A-side fight, the privileges that they're entitled to, but conceding them all to to just Gis, to Gisora because they clearly wanted the draw or Chisora to win. So I think Usyk is angry that the K two maybe were a little bit too passive and they didn't anticipate this and they didn't try and had. I, I'm not sure about that, but that's going to be a very difficult one to adjudicate on. Uh, uh, exactly. That's that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's his third-party promoter. It's Metro, Eddie Hearn, uh, that's tilting the table against him. But again, he's uh, he, in, in this interview, he's expressing his... Um, well, he's, he's saying that he's... Uh, he doesn't like the fact that uh, the K2 promotion is not doing anything about it. And uh, he was bringing up examples of uh, Tyson Fury, you know, and his team standing up for uh, for Fury in, in Germany against Klitschko, that uh, that they should have... He, he, his complaint is basically that uh, they, they, they just uh, go along with... Uh, with uh, what uh, with all the, the fuckeries from Hearn, so that's his complaint. The, the, the... the question is here: is is did Usyk relay his his skepticism regarding this fight immediately to K two, and did they just sit and do absolutely fuck all on it, or did they try and remonstrate with Eddie Hearn? I think that's the perennial question here. If they did nothing then he has a point. But if nobody had prognosticated what was going to happen beforehand, then it's a bit difficult. So that's the million-dollar question here. 
did they have sufficient time to address his concerns directly to Eddie Hearn? They'll say, what the fuck are you doing, man? He's the A-side of fight. Why are you giving him such a small ring? What's wrong with these ropes? Blah, blah, blah. And I mean, who the fuck are these judges and the referee? Why are they giving the fight 1-1-4, 1-1-3 when you want it easy? You're trying to fuck him over. So that that's the sort of conversation, you know. Did he... Did he relay these points or did he did he anticipate that K2 would have picked up on them and, and, and voiced them directly to Eddie Hearn? So it's it's a really hard one that we don't really know all of the facts, all of the conversation between all the parties. For sure, yeah, that's true. But I, I don't know at least the judging judging by this interview, uh, as long as what at least in my personal opinion, yeah. long as what he's saying uh, is true and he's not true and he's not lying, uh, I'm uh, I'm completely I'm I completely agree with him uh, b- because in this very interview, what I'm trying to say here in this very interview, he's uh, he's complaining just about that ex- exactly about that point about. Uh, um, K2 promotions uh, trying to be good with and be liked by Hearn, by by the other promoters, etc. Uh, so at least, but uh, judging by this interview, I'm uh, I'm completely on his side. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Sure, we we don't know uh, everything that happened, but yeah, but but they but they are yeah. a passive sort of promotional outfit. You never you never really hear. Vladimir or even Vitaly talk about K2 promotions. Yeah. You don't really see them ringside. They don't have a stable of international fighters. So it's a very sort of very sort of, you know, not really ubiquitous type of boxing organization. Um, with the market <laughs> they have, they, they could have had so many a really mainstream, a mainstream boxing organization, but with Vitali's political aspirations now quite difficult. So, who manages the operation? You know, Vlad and that may just have the overall control, but I, I'm sure it's it's all been delegated to other people who manage the company. So it's cloak and daggers. You know, don't really know too much about it. Uh, you know what? The, the, that's an interesting question in itself because, yeah, first of all, you're uh, you're completely right. They're not showing up, uh, not not doing anything in the media for for K two promotions, except for uh, being ringside for for their uh, for their events. But beside that, they're not doing anything. But again, I do remember. Uh, I kind of remember, but don't remember exactly. I do think that uh, um, the way K2 functions is kind of kinda like how Golden Boy functions, uh, meaning that uh, there are um, Klitschko brothers like Oscar, and then uh, uh, I don't know if it's this guy, Alexander uh, Krasiuk, who's, who's kind of like... Um, Bihap, uh, meaning that uh, he has his share uh, in a, in a company and uh, he has his fighters that he manages. Uh, 
so it's it's kind of n not really easy to understand how how do they function but at the same time uh, yeah in this interview the they're talking about Usik having the negotiations with with Klitschko brothers so yeah because they don't have a from my understanding they don't have a direct sort of autonomous deal with any specific network so whether it's autonomous funding coming in from the Klitschko's or that's why they're using the third party as a leverage internationally. So then therefore whoever has the rights for, for their overseas fights can obviously then pay the fighters directly. So the Klitschko's don't have to. So kind of a, yeah, it's like an LLC typical sort of business model. Um, try and sort of mitigate that, that, credit risk or the, or the financial risk the, that's the way boxing promoters tend to structure their companies so and the Klitschko's are sharp they know what they're doing so but uh, was there anything else official I think we're spending a little bit too much time on this one yeah yeah uh, yeah so, yeah let's end it uh the very last point is um as you can see in screenshot yeah i i forgot to bring it up his other complaint um he just mentioned it as one of his complaints about key to promotions is that um his fight against uh, Marco Hook was supposed to happen in, in ukraine and so the interviewer was uh, telling him but um they are, he was thinking that K2 was uh, probably right about uh, setting that fight in Germany, being that it would make more money uh, from um, from the tickets sold. And so Usyk went on to, to, to ask him how much uh, does he think that the ringside seats uh, costed in Germany. And uh, he, he gave some kind of big numbers over... Uh, over a thousand or a couple of thousand uh, euros per seat ringside. And um, Usyk told him, well, you see, you're wrong because the ringside seats in Germany for the hook fight were only 40, not more than uh, 400, 500 uh, euros. And that uh, <laughs> it could be easily sold uh, in uh, in Ukraine as well. And he was mentioning the, 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 the various uh, BMW and uh, Mercedes um, cars that, <laughs> that you can see on the Ukrainian streets uh, even before you, you see them on the German streets. So that was another of his complaints. But yeah, so that's all about this interview once again. Thanks to LDOG for, uh, for the link. Uh, yeah, so I guess uh, we can go on. You know what? Oh, we are definitely going to, to talk about Earl Spence versus Danny Garcia now. But I'm wondering if, uh, if you would be, if you have time uh, for, uh, for the breakdown uh, of Emmanuel Rodriguez, but we'll see it. Okay, so have you seen uh, the fight? No, not not in its entirety, but I've seen certain elements of the fight to try and gauge an overall perspective and did a little bit of slow motion analysis. But I'll, I'll give my I'll give my high level synopsis after you. I mean, you've been watching the fight. <laughs> 
Okay, so I think I'll, I'll try to, to keep it short uh, because um, I rewatched the fight just before the show tonight. But just like the first time, I was not really scoring it, uh, really trying to score it, even uh, rewatching it earlier. But I do think that, well, I disagree with um, with most of the people I saw tweeting on uh, tweeting about this fight because you, you would be surprised. I mean, I don't even know how you you seen uh, you saw this fight, but I think it was extremely close. So, being that I was not scoring it, I would say maybe uh, Spence uh, outworked him, uh, maybe seven to five. But but at the same time, trust me, the way I saw the, this fight uh, without scoring it, but watching it twice, both times, I thought that uh, I would not complain if anyone had um, Danny Garcia winning, believe it or not. And this is the moment where everybody <laughs> stops listening to the show because they're um, they completely disagree with me there's probably saying what the fuck is he talking about but yeah uh, Danny Garcia throughout the fight he was landing way more cleaner and way harder shots to the body and upstairs now of course Spence Spence himself he was landing very good punches and uh, was more active but I would say Danny was even uh, for, for the most part uh, I'm not saying that his work rate was uh, anywhere near insane because it's never the case with Danny Garcia but his work rate was higher and um, than, than, than usual and uh, he he was not as lethargic as in all of his previous fights uh, except for um, for Lucas Matisse which happened seven years ago so in my opinion it was uh, what surprised me the most about this fight was Danny's performance and I was saying man what uh, what a shame that he just doesn't like to, to work hard either in his training camp but certainly in his fights because throughout his whole career he's half-assing that I forgot how how good he can be uh, I really enjoyed this performance from him uh, now yeah people are saying that Spencer's performance was amazing that he he shot him out uh, 10 rounds to 2, 9 rounds to 3. Now, I don't even know you how you saw this fight. Uh, you, you may disagree with me as well, but me, I saw an extremely close fight. And I'll get, um, get uh, into Spence's performance in a second, but I just want to say that Garcia, yeah, his work rate was not insane, but was better than usual. And... He, strategically, he he surprised he surprised me strategically because strategically I think that he performed extremely well. He for his limitations, he had a great game plan, doubling up on uh, on the right hands, up and down, and not telegraphing them. And beside um, the whole PBC Fox doesn't matter which team that televises PBC fights, as always there were. They were sucking on Errol Spence so hard. I would not be surprised if in nine months uh, Spence's children start start coming out of 
of their mouth. Uh, so, yeah, but Garcia, he was doing very well. Uh, it was just uh, terrible to me that they were not calling his punches and he was landing better punches throughout the whole fight. Now, yeah, Spence was probably uh, outworking him and... Uh, outspeeding him for sure he he's quicker has quicker feet and uh, he was landing a very good punches himself and uh, i can't wait to do a breakdown of this fight for uh for the future shows because I, I didn't have enough of time to to really get deep into it but i saw a lot of interesting things uh now about um Spencer's performance, as always, he was um, he was being aggressive. Unlike uh, in the Mikey Garcia fight, um, I mean, uh, where against Mikey he was as active as he was uh, against Danny, but he, I don't know, he he was extremely extremely active against Mikey Garcia, but kind of boxing at the same time of the back foot, trying to, to counter Mikey while getting out of range, uh, things like that, while, um, while against Danny, while he was uh, still boxing in and out, he was more front foot heavy. And uh, yeah, people are asking why Danny Garcia was not able to to land as many or any left hooks on uh, on Earl Spence. Well, first of all, he did land some of them that were very short, and that um, judging by how most of the people scored this card, uh, which shows me that they have no eyes. Probably they didn't see. Um, Danny Garcia's left hooks, some of them, some of short um, short left hooks that he was landing against um, against Spence for the same reason they scored the fight wrong because they're blind. But yeah, the truth is he wasn't landing many of his left hooks, mainly because Earl Spence was boxing in and out and... Um, yeah, he was getting hit uh, to the body by the left hook to the body, by the way, yeah. of times. And uh, he was... Uh, Errol Spence is good fighting in and out, stepping out of range immediately after finishing his attacks or combos. And plus, he's longer and plus to land upstairs on him while he's taller than Mikey... Uh, than Danny, sorry. And having a tie guard, it wasn't easy. And plus, on top of that, I saw uh, Danny Garcia trying to set up his left hook against him, like he always does. And it means the, the way he, he sets up that uh, what people are calling no-look left hook is by feinting a right hand and he steps in with his right foot uh, while he feints, uh, feints a right hand and bring his... Uh, right shoulder over his uh, front lead knee, over his left knee. And from there, his, uh, his left hand is cocked by... But um, then he was being cautious because 
he saw that Spence was uh, paying attention to to that move, and he was looking, waiting for him to get in that position, so so Errol can counter remove it with a straight left, and that's why many times, a couple of times, he had to back up. But enough talk about the left hook because that right hand was fantastic weapon for uh, for Danny Garcia in my opinion he yeah. was landing yes. a lot a lot a lot really a lot of punches and it's it's really shameful terrible that uh, no one out of boxing aficionados from twitter or um, the tv the tv commentary crew <laughs> they they didn't call two of those punches while he was constantly landing them. I'm not saying that uh, Spence was not probably out outworking him, but but he was, to me, clearly landing those right hands, looping right hands, uh, doubling on them up and down, and, uh, switching from straight rights to, to looping rights, overhand rights, uh, right uppercuts. That was great. And uh, yeah, another thing uh, for uh, why his left hook uh, was not landing a lot is because he was not really looking to to land the left hook. Because uh, yeah, you can say against the southpaw, left hook is a is a good weapon. But in this case, um, judging by the, by the, their styles, it was not easy uh, for him because because of the way he sets it up, how he cocks his uh, left shoulder back. Uh, and um, what I was about to say, oh, uh, I lost my train of thoughts, but uh, yeah, what, what uh, Danny was doing with his right hand, first of all, yeah, um, instead of um, countering uh, Spence's southpaw left hand with his uh, orthodox left hook, he was rather uh, countering Spence coming in behind jabs and doubling up on his jabs before throwing his left hand. So while Spence would step in in the range with his jab, that that's when um, that's the punch that um, that Danny was looking to counter. It had a lot of success with, uh, like I said, doubling up, etc. He landed numerous great body shots, and uh, kudos to Spence for for taking them. Because uh, for Spence, what I got from this fight, the biggest news is that he's completely all right after after his car accident, and that he's in a very good shape, and that he probably came in lighter than ever, you know. So trying to be in a, in a great shape. Uh, it looks like he's taking boxing more seriously, and plus, uh, being judging by his size, he needs to be, if he wants to stay in this division. Um, yeah. So, what else I wanted to say? The another thing, and uh, you have to keep this in mind when you talk about uh, the possible Errol Spence uh, versus Crawford fight. Uh, I'm not saying who, who 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 is going to win. I have my my opinions how how that fight would go. But the thing is, many people are jumping from uh, back and forth from uh, 
from one guy to, to the other, switching, uh, being very hesitant in between uh, Crawford and Spence. But uh, I, 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 I'm just really shocked of how many people thought this was amazing performance from Spence because it showed me, well, what, what he does well. It was nothing new to me. I already knew it before this fight. But uh, this just proved... Um, proved to me some of his faults that I thought I, I, I've I seen before. And those are Danny Garcia pivoting, uh, you know, timing uh, also Spence's jab, Spence stepping in with his jab in the pocket uh, by either sticking out his own jab and sticking it there and pivoting on his left foot outside of Spence's uh, right jab or doubling up on the jab while pivoting. And even, uh, you know, he was, uh, what Garcia was also doing, he was uh, moving laterally to his right. And uh, when um, he was waiting for uh, for Spence again to, uh, to jump in behind the jab, and the moment he jumps in, he would pivot again on that left foot and uh, throw through double jabs or a left hook to the body. Uh, and that's also that's also how you can set the right hand by that pivot, you know. Uh, when, when Spence is stepping in behind his jab, you, you just jab or double jab on that pivot and then he's open for uh, for your straight right. Um, then, oh, yeah, go ahead. Was he? Was you surprised upon learning that the volume of punches thrown by both fighters was comparable? Now we know combi box is not an all definitive system, and that it is calibrated for the A side fighter. A lot of people that are just that are just. Um, using CompuBox as their justification are, are being a little bit hypocritical given that they've criticized CompuBox in the past, the Floyd Mayweather fights, etc. So from you watching the, the fight in its entirety, could you sense that the punch numbers were comparable or do you think there, there is a, some sort of a misrepresentation? Uh, well, look, that, that's an interesting question that I was uh, asking myself watching this fight both times live and rewatching it earlier because again I saw Danny Garcia being more more active than usual and uh, yeah you know what I would say um, I would say definitely uh, Spence had a higher work rate but it was not insanely higher because I think that people still have um, Danny's performances from his previous fights where where he was even lazier. I think that he was, like I said, I think he was more active than, much more active than he usually is. But yeah, I, I would say that uh, Spence, Spence probably outlanded him um, maybe even by, uh, by around 100 punches. I don't know, but... Danny was not, all I'm saying, Danny was not uh, as inactive uh, as he was in, in uh, as he normally is. So, yeah, but I get your point. Yeah, I do agree. Uh, this could be uh, 
another another proof, you know, another example of Campybacks being fake. And by the way, uh, yeah, even on Twitter, some of the guys that works in Campybacks, he blocked me because because I started exposing, you know, making joke, making jokes about him and uh, exposing uh, their their yeah. hypocrisy. You know, for me to make that determination is impossible at this stage because I haven't seen the entire fight. But what I saw was was definitely a more viable Danny Garcia. And it, and I'm glad that it, all of the excess baggage from his previous performances were not on show because I had low expectations for him, especially after the Ivan Redcatch fight. He's he's very much almost become like a like a Ricardo Mayorga now. Uh, losing to you know all of the, the the top champions and making a lot of money in the process and he's he's, he's very content in doing so um but in in this fight and, and maybe he had gauged it you know Spence is essentially an attritional fighter he wins fights by outworking his opponents and breaking them down he's not a concussive for a fudding puncher but it's sufficiently heavy-handed enough accurate body puncher hell of a lot of low blows but it's a very aggressive body puncher pressure he'll come forward but not always walk, will walk you down you'll do it in certain increments when he senses you're hurt and he feels he has more endurance than you then he'll walk you down like he did in this fight as well so essentially you know some sort of a quasi pressure, but definitely an attritional fighter. So theoretically, th th there's two ways to beat him. Even number one, you outwork him and, and roll the dice with the scorecards on the P on the PBC, which is very dangerous. Or number two, you knock him out or sufficiently hurt him, really debilitate him, in which you then restrict his his output. Maybe Danny had a gauge that, I don't know, because he definitely threw a lot more punches. There was a lot more venom in his punches. And pro rata, sort of pound, pound for pound, Danny, I think, hits just as hard, if not harder than Errol with a single blow. Because I saw him hurt Errol two or three times in the fight. Momentarily, they, they might have just been, you know, buzzed him up. But definitely the body shots did and, and some head shots. But the problem with Danny Garcia may just come down to skill and talent. And this is the problem on defense. Now, Spence has a good guard, high guard, an active guard. He's moving his lead hand, not fencing it in the Ukrainian style, but an up-down motion, sometimes firing a jab from his lead hand being a little bit further out. The problem with Danny Garcia is that he, he doesn't have a, a tight, robust guard. Whenever he throws a hook, he'll drop his lead hand. So Errol then can therefore take advantage of that by throwing one, two, three. He'll double and triple up. So he's already got the lead hand position because Danny's hand is already low. And that's the problem. So Danny's face is getting peppered with the jab. The problem with Danny is that because he's anchored on his back foot, because he's a counter puncher, so his defense, what he relies on is if there's sufficient gap between the two fighters, he'll, because he's he's leaning back on his, his back foot to try and land a counter right hand. That's where the leverage is coming from the punch. 
But from a defensive standpoint, how he's going to slip the punches is by leaning back or even taking a step back if he can do so. Not any side-to-side exaggerated upper body movement. And because he doesn't have a, a, a tight guard or he can even use a shoulder roll to try and deflect a jab coming from the south hand or even the he can't obviously block a backhand, but he can block a backhand with his lead hand, which is already cocked. And that's what he was doing sometimes as well. So the the problem is, is if your head is remaining on the line and you're relying on leaning back, slipping and, and landing a counter right hand, which he was doing, but the only way he can get his head off the line is if he transfers the weight from his back foot where he's anchored onto his front foot, then he can get his head and his body off the line. And that's what he didn't do. And that is something he has never done. So it's, that's just Danny Garcia for you. He doesn't have that particular skill to do so. So that is the reason he was continuously getting peppered with the jab and his, and his eye was getting you know getting marked and bruised up but what he was doing well with that with the handy and then somebody was saying he wasn't setting any traps but he was he was setting traps against landing the short body shots and then coming over the top with a looping he was looping the right hand actually very nicely at times sometimes coming around the guard sometimes coming over the guard even and once or twice straight punches straight down the middle as well so and he was leaning he was he was literally accelerating into the right hand and you could hear the acoustic thumps where it was deflecting off the glove or it was landing on the body or landing on the head and he was snapping uh, errol's head back as well so he was definitely landing heavy punches and he was sitting down on these punches as well but from a defensive for that particular deficiency i mentioned which is a which is a technical which is a technical problem. That's just his makeup of being, you know, a counter puncher who's not blessed with magnificent footwork, doesn't have that tr- transfer of, of, of weight to get the upper body and get his head off the line as well because he hasn't got any exaggerated head movements. He's not really protecting his chin in, in that way. So um, Spence did some great stuff and what I couldn't understand is is why Danny was landing more left hooks to the body because up against the southpaw who's throwing multiple jabs and he where he doesn't have to even fight to get lead hand control if he's doubling and quadrupling then the left hook is a better punch than the straight right hand because you can actually hook round the active lead hand which is predominantly been extended out so he's got no protection. Errol has no protection for the right-hand side of his chin. So a left hook and exaggerating the hook, I felt it was, Errol was tailor-made for Danny. But in, in the last show, we mentioned that Danny is not just, he's not, has been throwing that left hook with the same sort of venom and belief as he did early on in his career. And that, that could be down to a content fighter. I, I don't know, whatever it is. But we know that Danny's best performances have been like five, six, seven, eight years ago, a considerable time. And although he showed a magnificent chin, 
Um, but that's not going to win the battle up against a guy who also has a very good chin, has durability. But he was 14 months out of the ring, so a little bit of ring rust. And we saw Errol was still very skeptical about taking punches or punches that have caused his gum shield to come up because he's had six surgical procedures. So he's probably spent an exorbitant amount of money on his fixtures. His teeth that have been and then he hits hard. So we don't know what the repercussions are going to be of the blows. Well, Errol didn't know as well. If he's sparring with 16 ounce gloves, I'm sure he may have come down to around, you know, he might have even gone that the 10 ounce just to, just to check what, he, what was his punch resistance going to be like. I'm yeah. sure he sparred a little bit with, with you know, Jamel Charlo as he does. Uh, he would have had a, a litmus test to say whether he could take the punches or not. So that's the reason why they probably went in with Danny. They knew, you know, punch resistance wasn't going to be a problem. It's more mental, psychological, getting off the scars of, of you know, of, of an accident like that and 14 months of ring rust. So the, the stamina might not have been ideal. Uh, he, he was definitely slowing down, and that is not only due to the long layoff, but it's also due to the body shots that Garcia was inflicting uh, oh, yeah. heavy punches, hard punches. Uh, he did some great work, really good body work. It was the body work and, and the straight and the loop right hands, which was definitely Daniel's best punches. Um, some good counter punching as well. So from Danny's perspective, official, if he threw 700 punches, is for a counter puncher that's actually very impressive because he's obviously trying to lead or throw as many punches from a, from initiating the exchanges anyway which is good and that that's what you've got to do with Errol if you feel that you don't have the power to knock him out you're not going to knock him out no one's really been close to doing so so you've got to try and you know yeah, exactly. so um But I mean, yeah, go on. I give him credit. I mean, some of the some of the ladder rounds, I saw a little bit of eight for ninth, and he was starting to walk Danny down and you know land some hard blows. And Danny was definitely getting beaten up in in, in some of those rounds. Um, but he was competitive. He came back in the twelfth with a little insurrection rally, showed that you know maybe the better way is to try and push her all back a bit. So. Um, I don't know. I, I, I thought he was a I thought he was a, a good effort from Danny Garcia, much better than what I've seen for a number of years from him. He definitely definitely, definitely tried to win the fight, try and knock Harold out, land some hard shots, um, showed good craft, some good ring IQ as well. Num very good experience because he's been up against you know a lot of these PBC fighters as well. So they've been well matched, had some good fights with Sean Porter and, you know, Keith Furman as well. Um, um, Errol, I think, will be better in his next fight as well, I think. Uh, if the pennies drop for him now and he's now no longer a reformed or he's a reformed alcoholic now, um, good to see. He's paying more attention. He's working more with strength and conditioning. No doubt he's getting... He's clenbuterol in, in, in Texas as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's no doubt about that because 
look at the way in man his arms were skinny as hell i couldn't believe what i was actually seeing very very small waist as well he has his body proportion is quite quite extraordinary um yeah i'm sure he's going to still going to be the wonder bra at some stage as well um but yeah pretty pretty good fight competitive fight um spence to me definitely looked to be the victor i think around the 7 to 5 for me looked to probably be about a reasonable sort of scorecard i think okay yeah um, you know what by the way um i don't want anyone to think that i'm shitting on spence i do think that uh, after all his performance was very good and that uh, uh, <clears throat> what gives me confidence in him is that he he looked completely untacked from uh, from the car accident and that he was as active and in in extremely good good shape extremely high high pace as always uh for most of the times at least so that's a good thing but yeah i have oh i have uh, many points many more points to to make about this fight because it, it was simply very interesting to me um so i'm saying that his performance was very good um but at the same time it just reassured me in um in some of his limitations that i saw and now back to danny garcia i think that uh, some of the reasons for him not being able to to land that left hook was um first of all he he was probably worried about um Spence doubling and tripling up on his jab while coming in so that may be why and then uh, being that Spence fights in and out and uh, is much longer much taller than Garcia and Garcia doesn't have a footwork foot speed to to close that gap after throwing that uh, that that jab when he steps out uh, i do think it was also some, uh, one of the reasons the uh, one of the reasons that uh, it was difficult for him to to land that left hook but on the other hand uh, like i said uh, that's why it was easier with him with his uh, lead hand being low to slip on the inside of the jab and uh, counter that jab that way with the right hand before he throws uh, a right hand and uh, the 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 way rolspens behaves uh, when um, being targeted by by a right hand or multiple right hands uh, was very very uh very very interesting to me uh, because look okay uh, what danny was basically doing he was uh, waiting for um for spence to step in behind jabs and then invest with his uh, to throw a meaningful left straight left hand but before before throwing it what he was waiting for him to lean in and that way he was uh, either countering him upstairs when spence before spence goes to to denny's body with straight left or uh, or just just before he throws that uh, straight left upstairs but 
one thing that was very interesting that I saw was that every time Danny would throw one or multiple right hands, especially upstairs, uh, Spence is backing up in a straight line. Always, always, there, there, there is not probably not uh, one exception in this fight, as probably in his other fights. Which, yeah, it's it's about him, uh, about Earl having his style, you know, and his ba- basic in and out style, high work rate in and out. But every time you throw that straight right hand uh, upstairs, or doesn't matter, right hand upstairs. He's backing up, and uh, many times it is just uh, a shame that Danny Garcia didn't do it enough. But every time, even when he was he was just fainting a straight right coming forward, uh, Errol Spence was uh, pulling in a straight line. Uh, that's how he he trapped him on the ropes in the ninth round, I think, J- just fainting and just throwing. Uh, a light right hand, multiple right hands makes Spence uh, back up. And so I do think that uh, he's very open, uh, not only because he's a southpaw, but because of the way he he reacts to it, uh, the way he's backing up. Uh, that right hand may be a problem for him um, or maybe even uh, maybe a way to set up some other punches uh, on Spence with uh, with that straight right to make him back up. Uh, so I want people to have that in mind. Go on. With Spence, you, you see what happens. Because he's got a, a high guard position, sometimes he uses his shoulder. He, he had an elevated shoulder as well, his right shoulder. I think that was as a, as a contingency plan when he's throwing his jabs, that he has protection for, the, for his chin against Danny Garcia's potented sort of touted left hook. So that's a good tactic. So when these fighters are, have got a high guard position, they tend to shell up. And and what why they do that is, is because they're not too averse to moving their heads because they feel they've got sufficient protection behind a high guard, a tight guard, and the shoulder as well. So that's why Errol Spence doesn't really have too much head movement and he can be hit. And that and that is the other reason why. Because he's, he's not an adept counterpuncher that whenever punches are forthcoming at him, that he will just try and... His object... His proclivity there is to try and protect his chin and his face. So he will, he will go defensively conscious behind that tight guard and he won't count the punch. And, and that's where Sean Porter was able to exploit him because he doesn't have a counter short right hand at that short range that would have been a perfectly deterrent against Sean, who was getting underneath his punches and charging him. Whereas he yeah. was able to neutralize Sean Porter to a certain extent because he does have a beautiful short counter right hand. And, and Kel Brook had the same weapon against Sean Porter as well. But Errol from that south point, he doesn't have a counter right hand. So that's why he also, that's the other reason why he try and whenever punches are coming, he'll protect his face. And that's why you've got to throw combinations official because you know that he's not going to counter you. He only tries to counter you to the body sometimes very close because he's pretty good on the inside. But you're not going to see a lot of counter headshots. I haven't seen any. Maybe a couple of counter jabs here and there, but so, That's what I'm thinking too. 
yeah, you've got to open up with six, seven, eight punch combinations when he's doing that, when you're seeing him, when he's got his guard up, because that's where you've got opportunities and you can target, you can alternate between head and body to try and force him to get his gloves down to protect his body. If his elbows are still protecting the middle area of his of his chest, which he tends to do, so the elbows are not all the way down, so his body area is always open when he's doing that, but Garcia was at those critical points. He was just looking a little bit too much for headshots. Whereas, well, I thought some left hooks to the body, left to the to the to the liver on one side, and that side to the solar plexus was open. But it's heated the battle. You know, sometimes you, you get a bit of tunnel vision. It's it's the elite fighters that have that composure and know exactly where to the punch placement and 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 the sort of perfect punches, but. Garcia is not 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 really elite in the in that sense. Very good fighter, but not elite. Never has been elite. Yeah, and I mean, uh, yeah, um, but um, a simple point about uh, Spence backing up, and yeah, that's true. He's not a natural counter puncher, and that was uh, one of my other points that I'll make. But uh, at, at least what I'm saying, at least. It's a clear tendency that always happens when uh, when uh, he gets uh, right hands being thrown at him upstairs. So at least it could be exploited, maybe not uh, as a, as a fallacy or uh, as uh, something that he doesn't do, uh, do doesn't do well, but just as a simple tendency. So just like you said, being that it's a clear tendency for him to, to back up straight back uh, when uh, having a right hand being thrown at him. So after that, it's up to, to a fighter, to his opponent, to see which way he can he can exploit it. And uh, just like you said, <laughs> that, that, that's when you're supposed to, to, to open up with, with combos. When you see that, that nothing is coming back. Official, you are absolutely right. Though the, the, the he does have a tendency not to not to defend that right hand well, and it. Kel Brook was able to land it at will, and another fighter who was catching Errol Spence, pretty low profile fight, but was Chris Van Heerden. If you go and try and extract some some images from that, Van Heerden was landing the right, and he, to me, it looked like he temporarily stunned Spence as well. So. He, he's very, very susceptible to that right hand, where it's fights or looping around his guard, does not do a good job on that. And also, yeah. the, or if you can mix it to the body and to the head, it guards. Danny had a little bit more of that through, just maybe focused a little bit more on that and not wasting too many of the other punches, then could have been a different fight. Yeah. And uh, by the way, you know what? Uh, another tendency of his, uh, and this may may be uh, even a good thing, but at least that's un- or bad depends on how how you look at it. But one thing is sure, I enjoy it, and it's it's that um, 
how we are we are talking about Crawford having a dog in him. Well, I would say that especially after this fight, that Errol Spence has at least almost as much dog in him as Crawford because every time he gets cut with a great punch, and many times, every time, in fact, when he got caught uh, by by a great punch from Danny Garcia, he was immediately jumping in with uh, with combos, immediately looking to to retaliate. So that's another interesting, interesting thing. I do enjoy it for sure as a as a boxing fan. I I love uh, that um, those type of fighters. That's that's why that's what I especially liked about Pacquiao. Many of them, but yeah, I I, I do enjoy it now. It could be exploited probably by. But I do enjoy it. And uh, by the way, yeah, he, just like you said, he's not a natural counter puncher. I mean, I saw I saw him set, setting some traps for counter punches and uh, countering Mikey, but it was Mikey, stationary Mikey, on his way out of pocket. But naturally, he's not a counter puncher, man. And that's that's why, look, I have to, to say a couple of words I know we we've been already talking about this fight uh, in between between him and Crawford, but stylistically, where I would favor Crawford, beside the, the the things that I already mentioned, is that he's not a counter puncher, and um, that's. In my opinion, it means that uh, it would give him le- less chance to to counter Crawford. Although he comes in behind the high guard, while and th- th- there's always a possibility of uh, stunning and uh, hurting Crawford, especially when he he opens up in the pocket when when he throws wide uh, wi- wide punches. And being that Errol is keeping his guard very tight, very good basic guard, yeah. If, even then, he can exploit it. But good thing for Crawford, I think that at least um, from uh, from the strategic uh, point standpoint that uh, Errol Spence is not a counterpuncher and that uh, he would uh, have a easier time because of it to 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 set his offense on on Errol Spence now of, of course uh, after the there are questions such as uh, Crawford being that he would be a B-side, he would, uh, even if he deserves the victory, he would uh, probably get trapped. So uh, unless maybe, maybe, and I'm saying maybe if he whitewashes Errol Spence. uh, But anyways, yeah, I I do think that he would try to to stop him late. so anyways it's it's an interesting fight but i'm just uh, see i already know the the things that spence does very well but i'm just amazed at people who who are who, who were watching this fight and uh, saying now after this performance uh, crawford stands no chance against spence uh, t- to me uh, this fight uh, didn't change my mind about about Spence. I mean, it was a very good per- performance and a, 
Uh, I'm certainly giving him a shot against Crawford for the say, uh, said reasons, but I just cannot understand people, you know, being even uh, more sure about uh, Spence winning against Crawford based on this fight, this performance. I don't know. I think the big question is whether the two fighters are going to get into the ring together because yeah. Bud Crawford was in attendance in Texas. Now, some people have made the argument, well, why not invite Bud Crawford into the ring and allow him to express his feelings and try and build the fight? But some people yeah. These, both of these guys are devoid of any charm, personality, or character, and, and it would have been quite an embarrassing incident because we know Errol Spencer's got no personality whatsoever. He's to try and listen to some of his interviews is um, for me, it would be a blessing to almost kill myself with a sledgehammer rather than watching <laughs> any extended period. Uh, Bud Crawford, the same as well, but pretty no coincidence that Bud is now in attendance to this fight because he's pretty much ran out. He's exhausted all of the has-beens. He's been beaten up. And Bob Arum has clearly made a demarcation or he's saying that um, you've been financially compensated more than sufficiently against the the level of opposition that you faced, even though Bob has been complicit in all of that, you know, double standards in in the choice of fighters, criticizing them before, but when they're fighting Crawford, they become world beaters. So they've all been playing this ridiculous game, but but conversely, you know, the, the, the people criticizing Errol Spence that he's done all of the hard work, he's cleared out of the, the division and now Terence Crawford just wants to take advantage of that and, and fight for free belts. Well, um, why? I mean, why does Errol Spence just continuously continue with the rhetoric of fighting a Canelo or a Manny Pacquiao? Um, he's chasing. He's chasing big money fights. Money is his proclivity, not necessarily legacy. Um, Manny Pacquiao has a belt, so okay, th th that's a, that's a viable fight. He's got the WBA belt. If Errol beats him, then it strengthens his his negotiating position up against Crawford. He can effectively say he can say probably a seventy thirty to those sort of extremes. Um, it's a big fight out as well, but the Manny Pacquiao is more of a cash out fight. And so is Canelo Alvarez. Um, but Canelo Alvarez before was on the DAZN network, so um, that wouldn't have been an easy fight to make, but they they don't really mention any of the, the negotiating problems in, in making the Crawford fight would also have been apparent if, they, if they're trying to fight uh, a Canelo Alvarez. Manny Pacquiao would have been far more simplified because he was on some short-term PBC deal or he was being advised by Al Heyman. So that that fight could have been an in-house, but I'm not sure how many fights Manny had with the PBC. I think it might have just been two or three, something like that. 
whether he had any options to extend it to one more or what his contractual situation now is or he's specifically with MP and he can just negotiate with anyone. He's, he's an all-time great, so I'm sure they'll accommodate, uh, they'll find a way should he want that fight. So um, I don't know, official. Um, to me, I think both both fighters have been complicit in in not one party is is it's solely to blame but both sides are but errol spence definitely has fought the better opposition but that is only by virtue of the pbc having the fighters in house so it's it's a convenient position to make that argument it's not it's not some sort of a conclusive argument um it's not like Errol's done all of the hard work. He's at the heart of fighters, so he, he's been beaten up a little bit. There's more wear and tear on him. So Crawford has really had no opposition. It, it's kind of kind of ironic because Crawford has been knocking at any, everybody, but they've been has-beens or whatever. They've been B-level fighters. Whereas Spence, he's had difficulties in all of his fights, You know, arguably lost against Sean Porter. Very, very competitive fight with, you know, Garcia. Um, whenever when he's fought against these A level fighters, you know, he's Kel Brook. He had all sorts of problems as well until Brook's eye socket broke. Um, he was behind on the cards, according to a lot of people. But that's a difficult fight in Sheffield. But he he showed his dog. Um, so I don't know. I, I I don't know what what, what is going to happen going forward. Um, if Errol, if if Terence is just simply attending the fighters, but they're not even acknowledging him, the PBC are not acknowledge the, the PBC are now trying to perhaps put forward the candidacy of uh, Josecito Lopez or uh, Abdul Quadratila uh, Abdul Kakarov or uh, Castillo Clayton or a Sean Porter rematch is moving back into some sort of mandatory position. Your Denis Ugas as the WBA regular belt um, that may be elevated to super. I don't know what the ha- what's happening with Manny Pacquiao. So the PBC have got more than sufficient opponents for Errol Spence to fight and continue this round robbing on financially raping the boxing public when what 600 million people have lost their positions worldwide and you want to carry on with this sort of bullshit um nah to me that's unacceptable um yeah i do completely agree with you because um this topic is something that i really wanted to address before the show so yeah, I'll, I'll gladly do it. I don't think that uh, things are so black and white in this situation. I think that <clears throat> there is a lot of gray area. And just like you're saying, I do think that both sides are to blame, uh, at least partially. I'm not saying that they're equally wrong, but look, here is what what has been happening. First of all, yeah, Crawford wanted wants that fight against Daryl Spence. And PBC, of course, they're doing uh, their usual PBC thing, uh, meaning uh, fighting fights, 
how do you say it? In fights, in fights, yeah. Because even um, there's um, there's a much lesser risk because even if Errol Spence loses, uh, they they get to keep their belts. And uh, in that regard, yeah, I do think that uh, either PBC Errol Spence they're they're ducking Crawford. Doesn't matter uh, what is the reason. Is it uh, them being scared? He he would lose against Crawford or anything else. But yeah, it's clearly the case to me. And um, yeah, it it could be seen by by the way uh, PBC and, and the networks they have their fights on pay per views on are disrespecting. Uh, doing something that that is very childish not including uh, Crawford as a belt holder uh, in between the rounds when they're or be, before the fights when they're talking about the other no, notable champions fighters completely excluding everything that is not PBC it's it, it, it's really it's it's just so low uh, I don't know uh, uh, Hold on, what else I tried to say? Yeah, I mean, look, PB, uh, ESPN, for example, they were promoting this fight, uh, PBC's fight in between Spence and Danny Garcia. I mean, this PBC just just lacks uh, lacks a lot of class. It's so low to do it. I mean, uh, speaking of some regular belt holders as champions by why while ignoring Crawford Crawford on his side uh, yeah he first of all in the beginning he he ducked Pacquiao as we already stated in the previous shows uh, ducked him a couple of times in a couple of ways uh, either uh, asking him to, to move down to 140 or the other things, which are a complete bullshit. Then, uh, then when being offered uh, the Porter fight, he refused it. And it's a great fight. Uh, I, I mean, I would still favor Crawford. And in fact, I would expect, uh, I would not necessarily expect that fight to go that way, but, uh, I think there's a very good chance of that fight looking similar to Crawford versus Horn. Uh, not saying that it would necessarily go that way, but at least in my opinion, there's a very good possibility of it playing out that way. But it's still a very good fight. Yeah, but I don't care. I don't want to. Yeah, Sean Porter could be the mandatory for the WBO Crawford or the WBC Spence. So that might just be a compromise to all of the to all of the people who are berating Terence Crawford. So if, if Sean Porter becomes his mandatory and they're saying, well, fight Porter before you fight Spence, fair enough. If if, if if Sean Porter decides to pursue that route, which I, I think it's it's a fresh perspective, it's a new fight we haven't seen before. They're obviously very good friends. And they, they were both 
fucking around a little bit when 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 Sean was the champion before saying he wouldn't fight Terence and back and forth. He says, she says, and the rest of that anecdotal bullshit. Um, yeah. You know, Maurice Blocker and Simon Brown were best of friends and they fought in the unification. So, you know, Evander Holyfield beat up the best man from his wedding. So, <laughs> Kevin, Kevin, um, Ricky Burns ended, ended, you know, the, the world championship aspirations of his best friend, Kevin Mitchell, when he beat him up in Scotland. So, this sort of shit goes on. And, and the, and the, Iguchi brothers fought for the uh, for the strawweight a classic in Japan for the Japanese minimum weight championship. Two brothers fought in the absolute... Yeah, fuck. Yeah, it's a great. Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a fight. I'll try and cover in the video analysis later on because it's such a hardly anybody knows about it, and it's the first time I think two brothers have fought for a for a championship belt. So. So don't don't start with all this friends nonsense, man. Because I'll just give you those counter arguments just to break down your argument. Um, but in any case, what you know, I mean, whatever happens, you know, if it's pulled off, and then and then spends after. But the problem is, is that both of them are not willing to give up their financial leverage. Um, Crawford. Um, reluctant to even reduce his wages during this lockdown period and have a fight, thinks he's the A-side. We know the PBC's business model is all about the A-side because they're doing that shit with all of their fighters. So that's why they're always pursuing this pay-per-view model so they can get prime negotiation position when it comes to the fighters or they can they can extricate themselves. It's It's... Companies, companies do all the time in terms of their market capitalization as well. It's a very, it's a bitch ass tactic. Yeah. yeah, but the fight is going. The fight has to be in front of a crowd, and it's going to be on some sort of a split network view. That's the only way it's going to happen. I, I, I can't see that's because Crawford is not going to concede by his sheer stubbornness and his arrogance. He's not going to concede. Yeah. He's going to want to split off the pay-per-view revenues in that case. If it's if it's going to be if it's not going to be a 50-50 split, then he want to split off the gates and pay-per-view just to try and compensate for what he's losing as a as a, as a guaranteed sum. So, all of it. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I think the fight will will, will happen, um, but maybe too late <laughs> when they're both out of the primes. But. No reason why. No reason why you shouldn't. No reason why you shouldn't. I don't know how many more mandatory expenses going to have. Um, Crawford, who was his last WBO mandatory? Was it Kafalowskis? Igidius? Could be. Mm-hmm. Was definitely a voluntary. So he's got a bit of time. Um, no. The 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 pay per view model is already in place. We've already we already had it for Fury and Wilder, ESPN, Fox, whatever. It is. So the mechanics are already in place. It, it, it can happen. That sort of contract um, is in place as well. It's a white label contract now that they can use simply on the back of that. 
So yeah, the um, the mechanics are there. They are the same. It's just the, the fighters and their faces there that are changing. You know, uh, same thing that same thing will, will happen with this fight if it gets made. Just yeah. like with Fury Wilder. I think, but, I think official at the moment that they're probably intentionally procrastinating the fight because of lock worldwide lockdowns at the moment. Well, yeah, lockdowns in, in the States at the moment. So there's no point in commencing negotiations now when there's no clear indications as to when a maximum capacity is going to be allowed by the governors in their state, actually, who, who have. Yeah the authoritative powers to decide that. So Texas is obviously a little bit more, given that they had, a, I don't know, how, what do they have around 12,000 or something I heard around that figure? Uh, uh, Spence Garcia, it was uh, on TV, on uh, on Fox, there was a mentioning 1,600. Then I heard uh, somewhere else 1,500, but yeah, oh, that's exactly. it. Okay, 1,500, okay. And the capacity, but, capacity of that stadium is around 60,000? Something like that, yeah. I'm sure around 60,000, yeah. 60,000 because Canelo back then, when, when he was fighting there on that stadium, he had, uh, well, was it against Chavez or somebody else? Or maybe even uh, Smith, one of the Smith brothers, uh, 60, oh, 55,000, something like that. So yeah, big capacity. Did Manny Pacquiao fight Joshua Claudio there? Yes, exactly. That was in Dallas as well, yeah. Yeah. Okay. But uh, let me just go back to... Because I wanted to, to, to mention more things about all this. Uh, who's ducking who talk in between uh, Spence and Crawford. Yeah, so... Look, definitely, uh, Crawford versus uh, versus Porter would be a very good fight, but I don't want to waste time with it. I mean, if it happens, if it has to happen uh, before he faces, and if he faces Spence, let's be it. I won't complain, especially since it, it would be his best opponent by far. Uh, but but I want to, to, to see Crawford versus Spence first. Why? Because everybody is demanding it. Now, I was listening to, to BDA the last night, and this is one thing where where I had to disagree with oh, Precise as well as I, I watched his new video today. Look, doesn't have to... You don't have... It, it looks like putting another roadblock in between the fights. People are demanding that fight. Yeah, uh, probably, I mean, not probably, it surely is the case that Crawford is unproven in front of uh, an A-level opposition. But who gives a fuck anyways? Uh, we, are all, oh, we were already talking about uh, Benavides chasing, uh, chasing Crawford uh, and Benavides was nobody and uh, he finally got, got the opportunity to fight Crawford uh, perhaps late uh, and after suffering the bullet, uh, the bullet injury. But uh, 
all I'm trying to say is that doesn't matter that then he he didn't have an A-level opponent yet. Doesn't matter. Uh, the demand is high for that fight. Uh, I want to see it next. I I would much rather see Crawford versus Spence in. 2021 than uh, Crawford Porter, you know. He can fight for sure. He can fight Porter afterwards. But I don't want to, to, to wait for it. doesn't matter. Uh, by the way... So why you want to beat Brooks' leftovers for now? To me, this makes no sense. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we were arguing before, and and the fact that Porter will definitely be his his most viable opponent, a, a fighter who, despite the losses and the long career, is still still has very good athletic ability, still very good punch resistance, hasn't lost, hasn't there's been visible degradation, long in the tooth. So in that sense, he's not a has been. Or a B level fighter, what so from the straight from the bat is far more competitive fight. So, yeah, if, it, if it's if, if that is what the WBO pushes forward, then absolutely, I'm not going to complain about that. But if not, if if you can get Errol Spence and if that fight is, is, is possible, then you're 30. What is what is he 34 now? He's a few years older than Errol, has had a lot more fights than him as well. Fight him. No? Yeah, I mean, yeah, like I'm saying, I, I wouldn't complain about it right now. As well, so it's high risk, no, pretty, no reward at all. What are you doing? It just to pacify the anti, the anti sort of Crawford boxing fans. Well, what's the point? He's already a vilified character. People are not going to give him some sort of redemption if he fights Porter and beats him. It's it's about you know the one and two in the division or if you if you even think Manny Pacquiao is not there then fine then I I say Errol Spence Terry Crawford one fight settle it and the winner fights Manny Pacquiao for a cash out in the mid box or whatever they fuck and then all three of them retire yeah I would agree <laughs> yeah but. I, I mean, yeah, like, like you were saying earlier, now I'm back on that uh, talk about who's backing who. Yeah, Spence was, was fighting the better of opposition and he's fighting a better opposition for sure. But it's just because PBC has all those fighters and they, at the same time, they they wouldn't let them go over and uh, fight fight Crawford because uh, look not only not only that uh, Babaron was saying that he was trying to he he was giving them good money to 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 fight Crawford which they they were refusing and uh, it's you cannot tell me it's not the case of of Al Heyman uh, telling them not to not to accept the offer because he he's ruling PBC and he he doesn't want to to give Spence uh, a big name a known name on his resume you know so that way by by preventing his uh, his other fighters to to go and fight Crawford 
he's keeping the distance uh, in uh, popularity, etc., in between uh, Errol Spence and Crawford. Uh, he, he, he's keeping a big distance in between them that way. So Crawford, uh, even if he wanted who he cannot uh, become a bit a bit of a bigger name you know because if if al is telling his fighters not to to accept the offer despite them getting the best money they they, they ever been offered it's it shows you that those uh, those are the the games the the bullshit games that Al Heyman and PBC are playing. So that that's also why I'm not blaming Crawford. And, and this hasn't only happened with Crawford. I mean, first of all, for, okay, a minor thing, a minor point before bringing a bigger one. Minor, minor example is the same way they were... Um, they were preventing uh, some of the welterweights to to go and spar Pacquiao when uh, Pacquiao invited them for uh, for his training camp before the Mayweather fight, but also around 2015 or 16, uh, Bob was publicly making offers to to Danny Garcia to. Um, uh, what's his name, uh, Adrian Bronner and the others really given them, offering them great money to, to fight Pacquiao while, while Pacquiao was still on top rank in 2015 and 16 and uh, they were refusing it and so, of course we know why it's happening because uh, Al Heyman is preventing them to go there despite them being offered the biggest money of, of their careers so that's all. Official, like with the Al Heyman business now, it's it's in Al's vested interest for the, the, the these marquee fighters, which he advises on for them to have, for them to become pay per view fighters, because that is why Spence has, has gone down the route not only of fighting all of the PBC welterweights in-house revenue, but also to fight a featherweight in Mikey Garcia, which is, for me, is not a legacy fight at all. But it's about the residual, the financial appeal that Mikey Garcia has. It's about trying to tap into his fan base, and it's trying to tap into the Hispanic community were amongst the biggest in boxing as well so so al Heyman has has a a completely different financial structure with his fighters he's not using his own revenue he's using third party revenue but he has from what i understand is he has a higher leverage advisory fee so why isn't it so why is it is it nor is it is it not advantageous for these fighters to be commanding record purses 10 15 million so therefore our Heyman will deduct for himself a higher advisory fee it's just plain simple economics um and 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 that is the reason why he's trying to get Errol Spence into that 
A side, you've got 80% shit because it's it's a contingency for him as well. Because if, if Spence loses, gets beaten up, or his career is ending, then Al Heyman is obviously benefited financially because the P, the boxing model goes on. You know, Spence is also in his 30s now, so it's it's business continuity. Uh, Al Heyman's vested interest is himself. Um, that is why his personal disposable income is inversely correlated to the revenue of his company. How can that be the case? Name, show, name me one other company in which has happened, which has not been um, investigated for corruption. You yeah. That's like what J Japan was doing with Zytec derivatives during the 80s. You know, you're artificially inflating it because you're counting you're counting um, capital gains on your balance sheet, which is which it, it which is ridiculous. So your your the value of your assets have gone up astronomically. I mean, the Royal Gardens, like in downtown Tokyo, was worth more than the entire land in California combined during the early eighties because I think because of you know the derivatives that the Japanese had created the you know, the Zytec derivatives. So, so Heyman is, is, is using a, obviously not a complicated structure like that, but um, that, that, that's why, that's why he's been investigated for what happened with the PBC before with uh, the, the hedge fund that they received from Ivy Capital. Um, they, they created a subsidiary of, uh, of the Kansas City Investment Bank because that was regulated uh, by the OCC. So to try and so to try and for 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 a hedge fund, what they did is they created a subsidiary. So with, if they're trading just mutual and OTC derivatives, then it then those are not regulated. So that, that that's how they were able to exploit that particular gap. Um, so liability is very difficult and it's very difficult to prove in court that you cannot if you forecasted certain revenues for your for all of your investors then you can just say well you know that that was our anticipated profits but it, it, it's clearly not been the case but Al Heyman at the same time has become exorbitantly wealthy because if he if he has a you know if he has a, a massive budget then he Clearly, he's going to overpay his fighters because number one, it also gets him loyalty. They're not going to leave if they're well paid, are they? But number two, then he's guaranteed a fixed income from his advisory fee, and that's his vested interest. Whether whether the company profits or not, it doesn't matter. His wealth, his personal wealth, goes up and up. So it's it's a crazy business model. Um, really designed for him but people don't really see it that way um <laughs> yeah they were talking about him as a savior of boxing while in reality he uh it was in his uh in his own interest to to pay fighters as much money as he was paying them because uh out uh, of all those paydays, he was he was getting his percentage. So the bigger their um, their their gains were for for the fights, more money he was getting per fight. 
Yeah, and and we know with the with the Fox that they, they don't have a, an an uncapped repository of money for the fights as well. They they have an annual budget, and you know Jimmy has already talked about you know the budget being. Um, they've not been making they've not been the revenue and what they've derived from the tyson fury and, and the tyson and the deontay wally you know paying these guys 20 million or so each in the fight what i'm not sure what the pay-per-view sales were but i they may have just broke even but they haven't made any significant profit on that um i don't exactly. think the tank pay-per-views recently have been successful the Jamel and Jamal Charlo pay-per-view card. But what the pay-per-view essentially does is it it, it kinds of... The difference between their capital and their leverage is not as such because the pay-per-view essentially pays for the purses of the fighters. So it, if, I'll give you a, a different example. The Eddie Hearns, Matrimer, have actually been financing snooker in the uk from their own matchroom yeah yeah they, they, they've been that that's an example of them doing this they've been using uh their own income to actually finance some of these tournaments like the uk championship very recently do you think al Heyman would ever do something like that of course not. Yeah, all, all he's doing is uh, he got that um, that money which is not his, and uh, so he's at no risk at losing it. <laughs> he doesn't care if he loses it or not because it's not his money. Yeah, that that's a typical OTC derivatives, SEC managed model. That that's what they, that's what all of these investment banks do. With that's how they speculate on the market. They they create ninety seven percent of all of the money is created by these. By these banks that are finnier and then they speculate on the stock market and then once investor confidence goes and, and credit is significantly reduced then that threatens the economy substantially that's how they've been able to manipulate the world for 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 200 years and therefore you know the, the central bank has to monetize that debt for them Heyman has yeah. very similar in that sense. He's got no, there's no, he, he doesn't have the, what I'm saying is he doesn't have the liability, the way that, the way that the business model is structured for him. So it's a win-win for him either way. Exactly. Yeah. So... On him, on him. That's what a Harvard education does. When you're able to <laughs> 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 yeah that's true <laughs> good play that that's why the wealth is controlled by just eight percent of the people you know that's why yeah. that, that's why 80 percent of the population live under hundred dollars a week exactly yeah and uh andre rodriguez in, uh, in the chat room is saying the pay-per-view is a more complex business because the media companies have a big share of the pie too. 
so promoters started to put their own fighters in deals with specific channels. Well, f- regarding pe- pay-per-views, of course, when when you don't have enough money to pay uh, to pay the, the money that oh, like f- Terence Crawford, for example, Bob Arum didn't have uh, enough of money to pay that uh, the money he was asking for, so he was obligated to to put it. Uh, to set it up as a, as a pay-per-view. Um, yeah, I mean, TV company would get 50%. Uh... Yes, that's the key. The carrier will take 50% and the fighters will have to take the split of the residual 50% between them. So, so how, how on earth is that going to generate a lot of money? It, it isn't, unless you're, you're getting at least a minimum of around sort of Four five hundred k, if you're paying them the sort of nine figure sums that they you are. So, depending if it's a, if it's a seven, it's an eighty dollar model, then um, around three hundred you maybe break even on the six million purse each. Um, anything more than that, then. Uh, you need at, at least a thousand to cover the extra f- four million each. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I I would say that they're well, especially when uh, those pay per views are not selling much, when they they're selling as poorly as Crawford's or somebody else's pay per views. Well, they're not 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 really earning money, but at least uh, with pay per views they can minimize uh, the, the the money that they will lose because. Um, if it's not a pay-per-view, you, uh, you have to to put out your own money. From uh, from my understanding, while pay-per-view is different, people are going to to pay for it, to pay to to watch it. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. people just had the pay-per-view that was what fifty dollars, and now this seventy-nine ninety-nine. And believe it or not, the Anthony Yard fight was actually sh- beat. ESPN didn't carry that fight so i think the fight was available on fight fight tv or something like that for around 20 dollars in the us which a lot of people were pissed off about so i wonder how many people bought that so um how many pay-per-views are these guys going to have one after the other but what they're going to do with errol spence now that they've set a precedent for him clearly they're trying to make him the A side, and they're not going to—they're not going to revert from a pay-per-view model when it comes to him. He's a pay-per-view fighter now, so his purses are not going to be—is not going to be depreciating. They've set a precedent. They're going to have to carry on with this model until they can get all of the belts or, or whatever, whatever their strategy is going forward. So, um, it's going to be. It's just going to be so unless it's if it's not going to be Terence Crawford the next fight, it's just going to be frustration. So you're just you're just going on inelasticities of demand from boxing fans to say, look, Errol Spence, undefeated, unified champion. You're just tapping into their into their psyche in the, in that way, just to try and market the fight and justify the fight being on pay per view. That's all you you can do. 
and just hoping that whether you're tapping into some sort of racial bias with the fans or or whatever it is or wherever he is domiciled from to try and get their fans you're just preying on their on their loyalty rather than the credibility or the marketability of a fight and that's that for me is very very sad the way boxing fans are just sort of capitulating and accepting this this garbage um like like boxing is an absolute necessity for them that's all nonsense man if they don't if they don't demand it they don't watch it and it's reflected in the numbers then the the, the carriers will then demand the best fight that is the only way you're going to get change otherwise they will just continue proliferating this model and 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 prying on the insecurities and the stupidity and the ridiculous generosity of these fighters in the in these sort of crazy economic times uh, yeah and uh, some, something that also jimmy mentioned uh, on one of the shows was that and he was right just how that that model is uh, has a short sight is so short sighted yeah you can uh, you can promote your fighters based on his race or anything like that but just like uh, maybe it's a bad example but just like Wilder what did uh, before um, when he had uh, that big uh, YouTube moment uh, when being interviewed by Radio Rehem it it may give you a um, a boost, you know, of popularity, and uh, he even started a clothing line, his own clothing line, based on on that interview. But in reality, it it closes. I, I mean, it it makes it creates a diversion in between uh, between. Uh, between fans at the same time you're you're closing uh, you you're pushing away many of many other potential fans of yours so you you may get some hardcore fans you know who who are into that racial racial talk etc but uh, you, you will never get a whole country uh, watching your fights stand behind you Go and look at yeah. Go and look at Manny Pacquiao in the Philippines. Look at the government and the rebels, and and and, and the singularity when he fights. And, and look at it anywhere else around the world. Um, so just a completely different. Very very hard to even fathom that. Um, whereas yeah. in the states, you you've got nothing but race baiters race hustlers it's from the promotional standpoint of the fighter trying to in the case of Deontay Wilder with this who's been manipulated mm -hmm. that he thinks that are his friends they all know it's absolute bullshit and they're making money off you know young Pharaoh has made what somebody was telling me around a hundred and fifty thousand dollars a visual by prolific <laughs> rubbish which he knows is rubbish the gullibility and the stupidity oh. of the people oh. that are 
that just believe it and will just keep contributing and giving him money so he can just carry on. And Deontay Wilder just falling for it as well. It's just extraordinary. Um, <laughs> I, you know, that that's why corruption in the United States is higher than it is anywhere else on the planet. Yeah. That's, why, that's why people, that's why the head of the, the head of the house and Nancy Peloso can have a what that's why Nancy Peloso's net worth is 140 million pounds is overseeing legislation for what three decades because she gets exclusive IPO contracts, IPO offerings, cents on the dollar after day one. Her profits go up by 100%, but at the same time, it's because she's overseeing legislation for those clients. So it's just, but it, the way they've passed the act in the States, it's technically not corruption, but it is to anybody who understands it. Yes. Yeah, and this is one of the most powerful legal apparatus in the United States. Is That's what goes on. The, the corruption in the States is just... You know, once upon a time, we talked about our teachers would just propagate to us that Latin America or, or sub-Saharan Africa or whatever, it's, that is the place that is abundant. We, nothing compared to the States. <laughs> yeah, when you see what's happening, man. <laughs> and it's all, all, all happening uh, right in front of you, you know, publicly. You, you see what's happening, but yeah. yeah. What, what, yeah, why do you think the Pentagon was hit during September the 11th? That's all I'll say. Something about yeah. $17 trillion missing? Hmm. Sure. Yeah. Uh, um, by the way, uh, um, so Andre Rodriguez and uh, Precise Fight Film are talking about uh, pay-per-views in the chat. And uh, yeah, I would agree with uh, with Precise with what he's saying. The problem is fans buying pay-per-views. And pay-per-view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I wanted to, to bring you in because uh, in one of the recent shows, I heard you saying that. And it's so, it's so completely true because... <clears throat> the the defense that they, they have no basic knowledge they they do really think that they're they're helping boxing by by buying those pay-per-views instead of uh, of uh, of uh, ignoring uh, something that is uh, that is already i don't know if, uh, i cannot find the, the right words i cannot express myself the right way but Instead of supporting boxing, that they're just supporting a model that's that's terrible. Yeah, yeah. Boxing fans need to stand up. They need to be a little bit more adamant in what they want. Maybe you got to fight for what you want. You can't capitulate to what the networks are giving you. You have a. It's a dim. It's not enforced upon you. You have a choice whether you wish to watch, whether you wish to buy. And if you carry on buying then, then clearly you're part of the problem. So stop fucking complaining then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you're voting with, uh, with, your, with your own pocket. And uh, so uh, if they're, instead of uh, giving you the real fights, the fights you really want to see, 
um, the absolute best fighting the absolute best uh, uh, number one fighting number two instead they're giving you you know number one fighting number 10 on a pay-per-view and on top of that you're going to buy it fuck no Yeah, and, and, and you know, apps like the zone is not going to—that that's not going to, for the reasons we already mentioned before. How how enough are you going to tumble down the the economies of scale and, and the market share and of of ESPN, Disney, Fox, all of them? You know, people have grown up with over the years, and and they do it best because they have. They have the major sports, which generates all of the revenue for them, N NFA, NBL, but then therefore they're very clever enough to put boxing on as well. So they have the trickle-down effect, what is maybe they rely on if it's not specific boxing fans that are subscribing to whether it's on the free networks or the satellites or the, or the cable networks. So for the zone to enter into that market and, and for them to have to wait around six, seven years to try and buy out the rights, the, the only way they're going to get it is if they buy out the rights. They outbid um, ESPN, say, on NFL. That's the only way boxing is going to flourish in the United States. If you get a major sport like that and you have the monopoly on it all, whatever the split is, and we're seeing it now in the UK, and, and I think we've got a changing of the guard. Amazon Prime, or whatever they're called, has now bought exclusive rights for the Barclays Football Premiership, which is the most watched on the planet. So massive cash cow. Um, so Amazon are definitely now venturing into, we know they've gone into home security, they've gone into face recognition for the police, etc. So Jeff Bezos has also got the Washington poster. They've got the media communications as well. So great propaganda for all of their scams around the world, etc. But in, in in terms of sports, you know, I mean, given the market capitalization they have, they could they could get a you know they could get a hell of a, a monopoly network as well. And if they start getting involved in boxing, then they've clearly got the capital to get the fights and. Amazon is a big enough name. Look at the, they've got more lobbyists than there are senators. You know, Barack Obama <laughs> is one of their major lobbyists. Look at the amount of money he makes as well. So, so telling me if, if they were to get into boxing and you've got Barack going on and race baiting with all of the, the African-Americans about boxing on there, et cetera, you know, that, that's money for them. So if they wanted to pursue or go down that line, you know, they are. Their zone that they would be non-existent. Okay, so it's been uh, go on. Extended one on that one. <laughs> uh, sorry, I could not hear you. It's a bit of an in, in bit of an extending discussion there on the, the economics of pay-per-views and <laughs> networks, but good discussion, I think. Oh yeah, yeah. I, in fact, I cannot wait to when I go back and rewatch it to to listen to this part again, because I feel like I, I missed a couple of things, and uh, when I go back and rewatch it, hear it again, 
I, yeah, yeah, it's pretty, pretty interesting everything. But, but uh, I got really tired because it's been three hours, 45 minutes. We are, we are live on air. So we, we were supposed to, to do, um, to do um, the breakdown of Rodriguez. Do you want us to, to, to do it now? Because I, I, I can do it, but uh, I'm wondering for you if you're, uh, if you're time restricted, if... Uh... Yeah, yeah. And, and what, mm. what, I, what I would recommend the Fisher is, is let's, let's do it as a, as a specific where we can try and fit in a, a quick midweek show just specifically covering it just before the fight at the weekend i think it would be great if we can maybe do an hour just covering it at some point so it'll be fresh on everybody's mind everybody is still all of their attention span you'll be re-energized i'll be re-energized as well oh, oh, oh okay so so um uh, i'm not sure I, i'm understanding you are you saying that we are gonna do an extra show instead yeah. of simply doing it the next week yeah I, that that would be my proposal. Why don't why not we Great. Try, why not we try and fit in maybe an hour between now and and Saturday or the early, early hours of Sunday? Do it as a special. Uh, yeah, but I fear I fear uh, we'll we'll need two hours because only uh, look I analyzed uh, uh, Rodriguez's fights and so I only I only used uh, two of his fights. And I have a lot of clips, a lot of interesting things to talk about. Yeah, of course we can we can keep it short, but uh, I think that realistically, uh, just talking uh, talking about Manny Rodriguez would take us an hour alone, maybe an hour and a quarter. So, uh, would you be okay with uh, well, two hours long show, maybe even two and a half? Yeah, uh, yeah, fine. No. I. I, I... Yeah, there's, I think there's little point in, in sort of going to four or five hours on here. Um, <laughs> let's have a look who's still around, how many people we've got. Uh, still, but it doesn't matter. We, we, the views is not really our proclivity. We want to try and obviously yeah. give, give the best sort of the best of our ability and, and, and you know, focus on that. So I've, I've got a lot of notes. On, on the fight and I want to translate some of them into video video clips as well so I, why not if you can manage it I'll, I'll, I'll try and work around your schedule and um, yeah let, let, let me know whenever but I'll try and devote two hours to it yeah fine no problem uh, nice uh, the, uh, wait the only thing is uh, let me see when uh when that fight is happening exactly yeah on december 19th uh so let me see my schedule okay so oh. next week that yeah it's exactly yeah it's in it's in two weeks my yeah. only my, my only yeah go on got more than sufficient time then so if it doesn't happen then we can maybe jump it on next week's show your choice Whatever. Uh, 
Yeah. Okay. So, so look, what what I want to say, uh, I would love to to have a special show for for this fight only, especially since um, especially since uh, I would have a lot of material and uh, I haven't done my material on uh, Donair yet, but I'm sure there is gonna be at least as much material uh, as I have on uh, Rodriguez, and I have a lot. Uh, but the thing is, if we do it the same week on the week of the fight um i'm worried about uh, about my working schedule because uh, uh, the next week i'll be ending my my work at uh, 8 39 p.m so i'm not sure I've, i would be able to to squeeze in an episode um unless we do it later at night you know and uh, hoping that i don't get interrupt by by work yeah okay because because after next week i've got to leave the country for a week anyway so okay oh okay uh so yeah a- anyways so uh, what's happening the next week let's uh, let's see uh yeah Agenton fighting tf and ashley uh aj pulev a colleague lovatsky fury huey fury wach bakoli kuzmin Shakur Stevenson, Ken Clary, uh, Chris Colbert is fighting uh, Jaime Arboleda, and um, those are the fights for for the next week. By the way, it got announced. Uh, well, it's not a surprise, but uh, Daigo Higa will be fighting on the undercard of uh, Ioka versus Tanaka. Uh, so, but those are the fights for the next week. Mm, okay. Kishtov, Gavatsky, and Aaron Sakoli. Interesting fight. That'll be for, yeah. for the vacant world championship, I presume, yeah? Uh, it says WBO Cruiserweight title. Uh, it's not written if it's uh, if it's uh, vacant or not. Just just saying WBO Cruiserweight title. Okay. Uh, Lawrence Zaccoli just has one of those absolutely aesthetically horrible styles. It's <laughs> effective. Um. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So we'll cover that. We'll cover that next week. Um, All right. Yep. So that that's enough. Enough of me. Okay. In that case, uh, well, thank you for joining in, as well as to Vader D. Andre Rodriguez, L Dog, um, Precise Fight Film. Uh, there was Shep here earlier, Philo Bedo, uh, Box, Mateus Lise, James Thornton, Overhand, big up to you, uh, Dell, Blue Collar Sports TV. Uh, if anyone doesn't know him, visit his channel. He's a well-established boxing channel here on YouTube. We, we know him for years. Um, Buzz, Jack, 
who else? Another Jack. Not sure if it's the same one. Triple JJJ, Saint Brit. By the way, I haven't heard of um, Duck in a while, but big up to him. Alone, big up. Who else is there? Yeah, I think that was it. Anyways, thank you to anyone watching. Hope you enjoyed the show. Levatsky might be out out of the fight. I, I haven't heard that, but interesting. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I didn't even know. I wasn't completely unaware of uh, of of the fights that, that were taking place on that card. So I don't know. Oh, they're interesting. It's, it's ridiculous. I mean, you, you've had you've had false positives which have got the England cricket team back from South Africa as well. So it, it, I, I, I place <laughs> no confidence in any of the tests. There was no way the cricketers had had tested positive. You know, they they had a strict they had a strict code which they were pertaining to, and uh, that that's just about. It's going to go to the courts now in terms of the financial wranglings, but yeah. Any anyway, thanks for the uh, heads up, precise. Uh, yeah, Lawrence Akoli will probably hug his way to the world championship. So it's bollocks. Yeah, and Vader D in the chat room is confirming it. Akoli fight is off replacement opponent. Yeah, so we'll have to check who's that replacement gonna be. But anyways, yeah, thank you for uh, for being here with us. If you don't mind, share the show. It would help us grow. So certainly show uh, share if you can. Uh, hit the like, subscribe if you enjoy the show. See you the next time. By the way, yeah, uh, we were not able to go live the last night. So you had a, a late uh, Monday episode. But see you this this Saturday, Sunday. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, a little bit difficult. So apologies for that, and apologies for the late start of of this show as well. But thank you for all those for your patience throughout this three three and a half hours. Sometimes we don't even realize when we get immersed in into the conversation. <laughs> don't really give a fuck, as I said from the start. You know, that's that's the style of and, and the focus of the show you know we're not going to try and minimize it for any specific purpose you know free flowing express anything you want to express you know i'm sure not all of it is is, is boring i'm sure a lot of it has been riveting you've got very insightful people here so maybe there's something you didn't learn today so for that three and a half hours patience you know some benefit it's already four hours. <laughs> That's how fast the time is flying. <laughs> anyway. Sayonara.